Ja, hallo und herzlich willkommen zu einer weiteren Sitzung von Corona-Ausschuss. Das ist unsere 136. Es spielt sich ja ungeheuer viel Rätsel Also es ist ein ganz großartiges Ergebnis, was auch so zum Schluss, ähm, also dass das alles so klappen würde mit dem Rechenschaftsbericht, war sozusagen ein gemeinsamer großer Kraftakt, war etwas ähm, unglücklich, dass unsere zwei Schatzmeister und auch der Vorsitzende die Position ziemlich kurz vor Abgabe aufgegeben hatten, aber andere Menschen haben die Verantwortung übernommen und sind in die Bresche gesprungen und äh, möchte da auch insbesondere an Thomas Heckmann, einen großen Dank richten und auch an und dann die ganzen vielen Menschen, die auf Landesebene und im Bundesbereich eben wirklich zu einer, zu einer konzertierten Aktion zusammengefunden haben und uns mit aller Kraft die Sachen zusammengestellt haben. Also ich finde, es ist ein grandioses Ergebnis, die Partei ist so jung und eben im letzten Jahr, wir haben insgesamt... Ja, und ich möchte auch noch mal, wir hatten beim letzten Mal ja kurz über Parteien gesprochen, man kann dazu stehen natürlich, wie man möchte. Ich denke aber, dass es im Prinzip ja auch letztlich kein großer Unterschied ist, ob ich jetzt mit einer großen Gruppe von Direktkandidaten, die ja auch in irgendeiner Weise sich organisieren müssen, oder in Form einer Partei mich zusammenfinde. Und die Partei mit ihrer Organisationsstruktur hat natürlich auch den Vorteil, dass sie da Menschen auch an den vielen örtlichen Lokalitäten, bei den Kreisverbänden und so weiter eben vor Ort zusammenfinden können, sich gemeinsam engagieren können. Und wir wissen ja, was es auch für die Menschen heißt, sich physisch begegnen zu können und sich gegenseitig zu stützen. Da finde ich, ist auch ganz, ganz, ganz viel geschehen bei der Partei, muss man wirklich sagen. Wir haben sich tolle Gruppen entwickelt, tolle Projekte. Und ich denke, da sind wir auch fürs nächste Jahr wirklich sehr gut aufgestellt in Berlin. Zum ersten Mal wohl in der Geschichte gibt es jetzt eine Neuwahl zum Abgeordnetenhaus, weil es da nicht mit richtigen Dingen zugegangen ist. Und da kann man natürlich auch Basis wählen, man kann auch andere Sachen wählen. So, damit ist meine kleine Ansage in diesem Bereich ist erstmal vom, vom Tisch. Ja. Ich möchte eine weitere Sache noch ankündigen die, oder mich auch bedanken. Wir, haben ja jetzt, wir sind ja jetzt quasi als, also gemeinnützig. Man kann jetzt, wenn man uns unterstützt hier im Ausschuss, kann man Spendenquittungen auch bekommen für das Engagement. Und ich möchte mich wirklich von Herzen bedanken. Da ist viel Unterstützung gelaufen. Das ist auch wichtig, weil wir haben natürlich auch Fixkosten, die wir tragen müssen, um auch diese Sendung, also auch insbesondere in der Live-Form und mit der guten Vorbereitung der Auswahl der Gäste und, und so weiter, dieses ganze Line-Up, das ist natürlich auch alles aufwendig und von dem Hintergrund ganz herzlichen Dank, dass Sie uns unterstützt haben. Wir haben auch 
eine Großspende bekommen, 10.000 Euro, auch da nochmal ein ganz besonders großer Dank. Und die, ähm, die, äh, die Spendenquittungen werden dann in Kürze auch rausgehen. Da nochmal ein Punkt, wenn man bis zu 300 Euro im Jahr unterstützt, dann reicht der Überweisungsträger aus und ansonsten braucht man eben für uns einen Beleg, der auch gerne kommt. Ich möchte auch dazu beitragen, dass der Ausschuss immer weniger eine Blackbox ist. Wir werden das veröffentlichen, was wir also nach Kategorien sortiert, was wir eben an Ausgaben haben und wir werden auch eine Spendenübersicht veröffentlichen. Ich hoffe, dass das übers Wochenende klappt, sodass wir schon mit dieser neuen Transparenz ja. ähm, Dann eine andere Geschichte, auch der alte Ausschuss sozusagen, der da mit den, ähm, sagen wir mal, den finanziellen Problemen noch unterwegs ist und da auch Gelder wieder zurückholen soll, der soll natürlich auch immer äh, weniger eine Blackbox sein und da würde ich gerne, da denke ich, braucht es einen Ombudsmann, der auch von außen das sich nochmal anschaut. Dann möchte ich Sie, die Zuschauer, die ja auch wirklich das alles ermöglicht haben, bitten, uns doch Vorschläge zu machen, wen Sie als Ombudsmann sich vorstellen können. Ähm, gerne an kontakt.corona-ausschuss.de und da gibt es natürlich Leute, die einem einfallen können, die sich für den Ausschuss immer schon engagiert haben. Äh, freue ich mich über Vorschläge. Vielleicht auch jemand, der äh, aus dem rechtlichen Bereich kommt oder der eben auch äh, ja, ansonsten einfach redlich und aufmerksam ist. Wer da was vorschlagen möchte, da freue ich mich. So, jetzt ganz kurz zur Überblick der Themen, was wir heute haben. Wir haben heute einen, ähm, einen ersten Gast, äh, Banker, Filmproduzent und Nachkommen eines ehemaligen Partners von Klaus Schwab. Und er spricht mit uns darüber, wie er sich von der Politik systematisch in die Irre geführt sieht, der sich ein Vertrauen auf ihre Versprechen dreimal hat ähm, impfen spiken lassen und wie er jetzt juristisch auch gegen einen Schweizer Politiker vorgeht. Dann haben wir einen Exilchinesen und Geschäftsführer eines großen Nachrichtenmediums. Er spricht mit uns darüber, wie glaubwürdig die Berichte und Videos sind, die wir aus China zu sehen bekommen und wie die jüngsten Entscheidungen der Kommunistischen Partei Chinas zu erklären sind. Dann haben wir einen Pathologen und Absolventen der Wuhan, des Wuhan Medical College aus China. Und von ihm hören wir seine Analyse der Infektionszahlen und Sterbefälle in China, denkbare Ursachen dafür und den Vertrauensverlust der chinesischen Bevölkerung, was die ähm, Nukleinsäuretests, also die PCR-Tests angeht. Dann haben wir eine Wissenschaftsphilosophin. Sie wird uns das Konzept des, der Transhumanisten erläutern und ähm, äh, legt uns offen, welche irrigen, irrigen Annahmen nach ihrer Ansicht verhindern, nehmen, verhindern werden, dass die Vision der Transhumanisten jemals wahr werden wird. Und zum Abschluss hören wir noch einen Facharzt für Innere Medizin, der äh, einen Freispruch erwirkt hat in einem Verfahren gegen ihn wegen des Ausstellens von vermeintlich falschen Maskenattesten. Also diesmal eine, äh, das äh, ganz zum Schluss finde ich sehr, sehr interessant, weil es ja ein anderes Ergebnis ist als das, was wir eben in den letzten Sitzungen beobachten konnten. So, jetzt wende ich mich unserem ersten Gast gleich zu, ähm, weil der auch zeitlich ein bisschen limitiert ist. Ich freue mich, dass Sie da sind. Pascal Najadi. Ähm, vielleicht stellen Sie sich gerade selbst ein bisschen vor. Sie ja, haben auch einen Film gedreht. Ich kenne den, der ist toll. Ja, danke. Ja. Schönen guten Tag an alle ähm, im alten Jahr noch. Äh, herzliche Grüße aus Luzern, aus der Schweiz. And, uh, Zu Ihren Deutschlands habe ich hier eure Flagge aufgestellt. Ja, ich bin Investmentbanker gewesen, äh, habe vornehmlich Staaten beraten. Mein Territorium war Russland, Zentraleuropa, Zentralasien, Mittelost und Afrika. Hauptsächlich Staatschefs beraten und Minister eben äh, in Krisen. Äh, ich bin Schweizer Bürger, geboren hier. Und äh, mein Vorfahre war ein Präsident dieses Landes und Bundesrats. 
Rudolf Minger, mütterlicherseits. Ähm, mein Vater, der durch ein Attentat äh, ums Leben kam in Malaysia 2013, hat mit Klaus Schwab damals das EMF gefahren in Davos, das hieß dann äh, European Management Forum. Und das war eine gute Sache damals. 50 Leute, keine Zuschauer, Staatschefs, Minister haben sich beraten, wie man die Entwicklungsländer besser entwickeln kann. So. Ähm, in meinem Fall in der Schweiz habe ich Folgendes observiert. Also ich bin dreimal geimpft mit Pfizer-RMNA, äh, mRNA, ähm, weil ich dem Bundesminister für Gesundheit geglaubt habe. Die Kampagne ist gelaufen auf allen Kanälen. Die Impfung wirkt, die Impfung ist sicher, die muss man machen. Und äh, insbesondere hat er ein Statement gemacht am Schweizer Fernsehen, 27. Oktober 2021. hat gesagt, mit dem Zertifikat zeigen Sie, dass Sie nicht ansteckend sind. Wir haben ja erfahren von Janine Small, Pfizer Managing im Europaparlament im Oktober dieses Jahres, dass die Impfung nicht vor Ansteckung schützt und auch nie dafür ausgelegt war, getestet wurde. Das war schockierend für mich zu erfahren. Ich habe mich täuschen lassen, ich bin getäuscht und habe dann recherchiert und habe herausgefunden, dass das Bundesamt für Gesundheit, also da, wo Bundesrat Berset, der, der Bundesrat selbst zuständig ist, das Gesundheitsminister, gesagt hat, Pressekonferenz, Geimpfte können das Virus genauso weitergeben wie Ungeimpfte. Also schon damals im August 2021 war bekannt, die Impfung funktioniert nicht, schützt nicht vor, vor ähm, Ansteckung und Weitergabe. Ähm, warum hat dann unser Gesundheitsminister im Bundesrat drei Monate später am Fernsehen, wo es ums Covid-Gesetz ging, die Abstimmung gesagt, mit dem Zertifikat zeigen Sie, dass Sie nicht also, ich habe dann Strafklage erhoben, erstattet äh, bei der Polizei hier Luzern, vor einem Monat. Das Dossier läuft, der Strafverfahren ist bei der Bundesanwaltschaft in Bern und äh, soweit äh, betreut von einem Staatsanwalt des Bundes. Meine Klage ist Amtsmissbrauch, Artikel 312 des Schweizerischen Strafgesetzes. Weil ich sage, ich wurde getäuscht, wir wurden getäuscht, die Abstimmung über das Covid-Gesetz wurde getäuscht, in die Irre geführt. Und äh, diese Corona-Politik äh, ist falsch. Ich will auch keinen Bundesrat, der mich anlügt oder falsche Un Unwahrheiten sagt. Ähm, ich möchte auch gleich anfügen, für Herrn Bessett, den Bundesrat, der durch die Strafklage angeklagt ist, gilt die Unschuldsvermutung. Ganz klar. Und äh, voilà, das ist, was ich zu berichten habe aus Luzern. Ich meine, die Schweizer sind ja normalerweise ganz zufrieden mit ihrer Regierung und Swiss eigentlich ja auch um, über die Abstimmungen so hat man so ein bisschen immer das Gefühl, dass da, uh, dass da mehr, wie will man sagen, gegenseitiger Austausch stattfindet. Aber hier sind ja offenbar die gleichen Wirkmechanismen am Start gewesen, wie eben in den ganzen anderen Ländern auch. Also ja. merken Sie denn, dass andere Leute, die ja jetzt natürlich so, wahrscheinlich in ähnlicher Weise betroffen sind wie Sie, wenn Sie da vielleicht mit bekannten Freunden sprechen, dass die auch so von einem heiligen Zorn erfasst sind? Nein, die Leute sind immer noch brainwashed. Ich habe Freunde verloren. 
man getäuscht wurde. Das ist kein Verbrechen. Man kann sich täuschen. Hat nichts mit Intelligenz zu tun. Ich habe mich auch täuschen lassen. Also, am besten selbst zugeben und nicht nur reinfressen und nicht nur am Küchentisch zu Hause motzen, sondern mit Freunden und Bekannten sprechen darüber, weil das ist wichtig, sehr wichtig. Wie ist das denn, die, die, die Impfopfer? Ja? Wir haben ja jetzt in Deutschland ist ja relativ viel Bewegung, da sind ein paar Filme, wir haben ja selbst einen gemacht und dann auch der MDR und es kommen eigentlich immer mehr Leute raus. Es hat ja auch jemand da, also es gibt ja auch sehr viele, jetzt entstehen immer mehr so Impfopfer selbst. Hilfegruppen oder Leute, die jedenfalls in zeitlichen Zusammenhang mit der Impfung der sogenannten eben Probleme gesundheitlicher Natur bekommen haben, finden sich da auch zusammen. Gibt es denn so ein, ein Bewusstsein in der Schweiz oder kommen da Leute raus, die sagen, ich bin betroffen, ich habe hier irgendwie, ich weiß nicht, eine Thrombose erlitten oder einen Herz, Herzinfarkt oder ich bin jetzt ganz allergisch geworden oder was immer da so auftritt? Es kommen immer mehr. Mhm. Es gibt auch einen Anwalt, der heißt Kruse. Ja. Der hat die Strafanzeige gegen Swiss Medic lanciert. Drei Todesopfer, 20 Schwerverletzte. Das Verfahren läuft. Und ich glaube, mehr und mehr Opfer werden rauskommen. Ist über diese Klage von Herrn Kruse berichtet worden? Ja. Die kann man googeln. Und die ist auch im Mainstream berichtet worden. Darüber. Also. Es ist rapportiert worden, man kann sie finden und noch einmal, Mainstream ist immer noch ruhig, weil die haben von der Krise profitiert, die kriegen Subventionen. Tja, so ist es heute. Also die Leute müssen sich die Informationen suchen. Und haben Sie jetzt für Ihr Verfahren schon, also Sie haben ein Aktenzeichen bekommen oder wie ist der Stand? Die gehen der Sache erstmal nach? Ja, ja, das läuft. Also Schreiben von der Bundeshauptschaft, das läuft. Ich kann noch ein paar Fragen beantworten, das ist gut so, die kann ich nachreichen. Aber die Sache läuft natürlich. Das ist ja hochinteressant, wie sich das entwickeln wird, ja. Schweizer Justiz ist gut. Wir haben eine gute, klare Schweizer Justiz, die funktioniert noch. Und, äh, das ist auch meine Hoffnung. Mhm. Okay, interessant. Ähm, Sie hatten ja jetzt, ich würde noch mal interessieren, weil Sie das ansprachen, dass da... Ähm, 
ihr Vater da involviert war, mit dem Klaus Schwab. Können Sie da vielleicht noch mal ein bisschen näher das berichten? Weil jetzt hat man ja schon so das Gefühl, dass da auch, tja, wie will man sagen, gewisse Verbindungen jedenfalls da sind, die auch dazu führen, dass wir hier in eine Richtung von digitaler Überwachung oder eben diese neue Weltordnung oder was da diese vierte Revolution da, die uns da verkauft wird. Wie, wie würden Sie denn da die Anfänge sehen? Wie, wie tauchte der Klaus Schwab dann überhaupt auf da im Zusammenhang mit Ihrem Vater? Oder was waren da? Was können Sie da aus den, aus den Urgründen berichten? Wir hatten Banken. Mein Vater war Bankier. In der arabischen Welt und in Asien. Auch in Hongkong. Und mein Vater war Bewohner dabei. Er war der Chairman der Entwicklungsländer und hat die Staatschefs und die Königsfamilien aus dem arabischen Golf gebracht. Es war ein Kleinformat. Vierstern Hotel in Davos. Man hat es getroffen, man hat Ski gelaufen, Ende 70er Jahre. Es war eine gute Sache. Dann, Mitte 80er, hat Klaus Schwab das Format ändern wollen und das ins West generiert. Und mein Vater wollte da nicht mitmachen, weil das der Esprit wurde verändert, der Charakter, und ist einfach ausgeschrieben. Und den Rest kennen wir, was das WEF macht. Das WEF ist verlinkt mit WHO, mit Bill Gates, mit Gavi. Und Klaus Schwab macht ja Statements ganz klar. 2030, Great Reset. You owe nothing, but you will be happy. Protest, komplett Neokommunismus. Und er hat ja vor zwei Wochen, glaube ich, gesagt, Gott sei tot. Also er will nicht Gott los, wie selbst was. Geht für mich nicht, also es ist unakzeptabel für die Menschheit und das WEF ist gefährlich für die Menschheit, finde ich persönlich. Und wenn Sie den Esprit jetzt dieses ursprünglichen Konstrukts vergleichen mit dem, mit dem von dem WEF, was würden Sie sagen, das vorher war auf einfach Austausch und Versuchen, was Gutes für die Menschen zu erreichen und das andere hat jetzt Interessen gesteuerter oder wo sehen Sie den Unterschied? Das jetzige ist äh, abgezielt, eine Kontrolle zu erreichen über die Menschheit. Das andere war Förderung der Menschheit. Und die, der ursprüngliche Impulsgeber bei der Konstruktion, äh, wo Ihr Vater involviert war, das war aber auch der Klaus Schwab. Hatte er das? Ja, ja, er hat sich einfach verändert. Yes, but he changed. Der hat, ich weiß nicht, der Mann ist, ich weiß nicht, kein Kommentar. Also man weiß ja, wie er sich darstellt heute. Ich finde das abscheulich. Ist ja interessant, ja, faszinierend. Okay, und der... Meinen Sie denn, dass der das, könnte man auch vermuten, dass er das vorher so als eine Art, also hat er wirklich so eine, aber das kann, kann man wahrscheinlich auch nicht sagen, hat er wirklich so eine, eine persönliche Wandelung durchgemacht oder ist er unter Einflüsse geraten oder so, hatten, hatten Sie da was? Ich kann das nicht beurteilen, ich bin nicht in seinem Kopf. 
sind es äußere Einflüsse, ist es Geld, Geld und Macht hängen zusammen, ähm, ist da etwas anderes hinter der Welt, sind die Chinesen, ich weiß es nicht. Bei den Chinesen haben wir schon ein Kontrollsystem eingeführt mit Social Rating und so weiter, Social Credits, etc. I don't know. Hm. Sie haben, haben hier, wir hatten well, ja hier noch als weiteren Punkt die Rolle Chinas. Wie sehen Sie das denn jetzt? Die sind ja, äh, Sie sehen da auch eine zentrale Rolle, denke ich, bei der, äh, wie das Management der Pandemie abgelaufen ist. Die waren ja quasi auch ein Vorreiter. Die haben erstmal alles zugemacht und dann kam diese, diese Panik, breitete sich ja von dort aus. Oder eben auch die, die sehr massiven Maßnahmen, die dann ergriffen wurden, ja, wie die Menschen kontrolliert wurden oder so. Wie, wie sehen Sie die Rolle Chinas? Ich weiß nicht, die Chinesen betreiben eine Kontrolle über den Menschen, die mir fremd ist. Ich bin Freiheitsleben, aufgewachsen in einer Demokratie. Russland macht nichts Gutes, was die Chinesen machen. Aber es sind die Chinesen, das sollen die selbst für sich entscheiden. Was sie da machen, ist mir wirklich wurscht. Aber ich will nicht, dass es hier nach uns, äh, uns äh, überschwappt und unsere Systeme verändert. Und ich möchte doch mal sagen, ich bin ein Standalone. Ich, bin ein, ich, ich, ich repräsentiere das Establishment. Ich bin nicht ein Anti-Wax. Ich bin nicht ein Anti-Covid-Mensch oder in einem Movement drin oder Greenpeace oder irgendwas. Ich bin Bankier gewesen und habe Staats- und Staatschefs beraten. Ich bin Standalone, ich repräsentiere das Establishment. Ich bin jetzt ein Opfer dieser Impfung. Ich weiß jetzt nicht, was mit mir passieren wird gesundheitlich. Ich bin sehr besorgt. Haben Sie denn schon irgendwelche Symptome? Nein, zum Glück nicht. Nothing, luckily. Es ist schon ein Wahnsinn, es ist doch sehr viel da in den... Ich schlafe sehr schlecht seit Wochen. Natürlich, mach mal die Sorgen. Ja, man weiß das natürlich. Kennen Sie denn Leute, die Symptome bekommen haben? Ich habe in Australien Bekannte, deren Bekannte, die Kinder haben Turbokrebs, Lungenkrebs, ein Mädchen hat Brustkrebs auf beiden Brüsten, Turbo, also schnell und einer Also aus dem Bekanntenkreis kommen immer mehr Beispiele zum Vorschein. Being divulged. Und sieht man das? Bei uns And ist ja jetzt einiges rausgekommen, also was der Herr Lausen da ähm, präsentiert hat vor kurzem, die äh, auch aus den, den Daten der, der Krankenkassen sozusagen, äh, wo ja dargestellt wurde, dass da doch erhebliche äh, äh, tja, Auftreten von plötzlich und unerwarteten Todesfällen und so weiter, also diese ganzen Ziffer. Gibt es solche Bestrebungen auch in der Schweiz, das offen zu legen? Ich weiß nicht, was da läuft, wie man das erforscht oder nicht. Statistiken gibt es, Zürich hat einen Geburtenrat. Reduktion von 30 Prozent. Man sieht auch die offiziellen Statistiken, je mehr geimpft wurde, desto mehr Infektionen hatten wir. Das bestätigt, dass die mRNA nicht funktioniert, was die Ansteckung anbelangt und Weitergabe. Und ja, es kommt immer mehr die Wahrheit, es kommt immer mehr raus. Und meine Strafklage ist wichtig, weil die Schweiz ist nicht geworden. 
wird funktionieren. Ich weiß nicht, wie es funktioniert noch. Ich glaube, in Deutschland, andere Staaten gucken sehr genau, was jetzt mit meiner Staatsplanung passiert, Staatsanzeige, weil ich bin der Einzige, der als Staatschef angezeigt hat, Strafverfahren. Und die Mainstream-Medien berichten nicht darüber. Es ist wirklich sehr Und sagen Sie, wie gehen denn die Menschen jetzt mit Ihnen um? Also das ist ja jetzt also einigen auch bekannt, dass Sie diese Strafanzeige gemacht haben. Wie, wie, wie ist denn das Feedback, was, wenn Sie jetzt kritisch sind oder sagen, Sie fühlen sich da getäuscht, wie, wie kommt man denn auf Sie zu? Werden Sie das Tausende von Nachrichten kriege immer noch von Leuten, die jetzt ihr Herz ausschütten, vom Drehen wollen und sich unterstützen moralisch. Es ist wunderbar zu sehen, wie die Leute ins Haus kommen. Weil sie haben sich nicht getraut vorher. vorher. Und ich habe einen YouTube-Kanal, konkret Pascal Najadi, kann man finden. Und äh, da hast du laufende Updates, Interviews drin. Und ja, ich kommuniziere offen, ich habe keine politische Agenda, ich will auch keinen Schadenersatz. Gerechtigkeit, ja. Und in dem Kanal, den Sie haben, zeigen Sie denn da, also sind das auch Gespräche mit anderen, also dass Sie auch andere dazu motivieren, jetzt, dass Sie herauskommen können? Nein, ich bin alleine. Ich gebe They should decide themselves, form their own. The police station is next door. No, anyone can go there. It doesn't cost any money to take action to file a legal complaint. Well, I think this point that we've just seen here, the initiative that if you start your self-help group can be locally, it doesn't have to be you, does it? But it's interesting to see that if the people have an idea um, and start to organize themselves at grassroots level, where you can just pass along and drop by and have others to exchange, to share experience and so on, what symptoms you have and what not. I think you could be an anchor point of, for this kind of thing, where people get inspired to self-activate. Um, we've seen this. I have um, done a film when I traveled, traveled Germany to interview vaccination victims, and I heard of people who did not dare to go to see a doctor who said it's all psychosomatic, they are mad, they are just uh, imagining these diseases because the doctors didn't want to look at them. And uh, now this being heard is an important thing, and uh, it's um, okay to say this is an important experience. Like you have perceived, it's a big step to take and of course everybody can be deceived but it is connected with pain you were wrong um, because somebody else uh, delivered a different agenda from yours i always say you have to learn to think for yourself and in that context i must say we remain calm unified and strong and in this way we will remain free people truth will always come out and, uh, that, that's very nice yes because the point if you see the truth and the problems only then you can take counteraction you, only then you can say i'm not going to take another shot a shot i have uh, this and that doctor and this and that symptoms and maybe we should look into what to do but this doesn't help if you lie to yourself in germany 
you have two ladies in uh, federal parliament, Sarah Wagenknecht and uh, Alice Weisel, clearly said MNI doesn't work and have warned. And we didn't see these warnings, we didn't hear these warnings in our parliament, unfortunately. Which warning or open voices do you see in Switzerland? Are there many or? In every area, not only politicians, doctors, for example, or others who expose themselves. Not yet. They will come. Like a Swiss clock, you can't stop it. Yes. Okay, so what would you see as an important next step? You are a banker as well. Do you also think that uh, these plans um, of restructuring society, do you think that will work out what Klaus Schwab is thinking of with none of us owning, owing anything and being happy? Well, they'll try it, but it's not going to work, I think. They've made too many mistakes and the machine is visible, Gavi, WHO, WEF, Bill Gates, and so on. It's not going to work. I think that's a problem. I think a lot uh, happened in secret, but eventually uh, there was a point where you drop your mask and then everything has to happen very quickly. But in my view, this did not work as quickly or, you know, now is the moment where you can see it, what is happening and uh, people do not like it. Well, unfortunately, in Germany, you are f more advanced. The politicians are currently damaging more than ever before. The uh, middle class is being devastated. The legal system is outlevered just at the moment. We've seen that with the so-called uh, uh, so-called coup d'etat, which um, where the police and the media, the police inform the media, the media go to the places where homes were searched. So it's it's a show. It's really a show and it was played out. And uh, I'm very, very concerned about the what's going on in Germany and the speed at which this is happening is very concerning. That's true, but uh, uh, nevertheless, it's also um, using a sledgehammer. I mean, there again, ultimately, it's dangerous. When I hit everyone, then many people will start to wonder what is actually happening and may uh, think they are at risk. Or I can see that that's a big problem for companies, for example, how it develops and uh, for the uh, homeowners and many others, many other people who are affected. But at the same time, as I said, when it's so clear, then it is difficult to continue as before. You know, the more you hit it, it's a very difficult, a difficult uh, fine balance to thread between, uh, you know, putting the foot down if you want to achieve something, uh, you know, on behalf of the government. And at the same time, you, you have to see how much people can be squeezed before they say it's enough now. You, we have a question from the audience here, what you plan or what would you advise 
in order to uh, demask the people responsible. And uh, you said in Switzerland it's still working. In our country it's more difficult uh, in the last uh, session we had people who reported that they were sentenced because of because issuing because of issuing of uh, mask uh, certifications where, where what are the chances here well look at what Lauterbach said publicly when he said it and I would ask can the health ministry uh, prove that the vaccinations worked? Well, certainly not. I don't know. I don't know the German legal system enough to make a statement here. You uh, made the step, and that can be a focus point for the others in Switzerland. Now, what can a Swiss viewer, what would you advise them to do? What else can they do? Is there something like uh, media that we have here that have uh, 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 came up, that came up in Germany, alternative media? Well, we have the World Week, which is journalistically working properly. We got uh, 20 minutes. Okay, it's a TV show, I think. And everything else shuts up. Unfortunately, I have to come to an end because I have another appointment. I'm very sorry for that. It was a great pleasure for me talking to you and inform you. The proceedings are underway in the federal um, prosecution against the Swiss president and the council. Um, I am going to be informed. I'll inform people on my YouTube channel how things are developing. Super. Uh, we will link to it. I think we have uh, the information coming uh, and uh, we will uh, publicize it and uh, we'll remain in touch. I'm very, uh, it's exciting and it's a great step you've uh, made and I hope that you will become a focus point for the awakening of Switzerland. I thank you for your time and listening to me and uh, to all of you, I wish you a very, very good next year, especially with a lot of Same health. to you. We will see, we will meet again in the new year. Take care. Thank you. Goodbye. Well, uh, I don't know whether we have the next uh, uh, guest to join us already. No, we don't have uh, the next guest yet. Let me just check. Um, and Corbin uh, Wolfgang. Has Wolfgang appeared yet? Then perhaps I would welcome him at this point now. Okay. Seems that he is not yet there. So let's uh, take a break of 10 minutes and uh, we would uh, we will come back in 10 minutes time. There were some sound problems as well. I don't know whether we uh, whether they uh, persist. Perhaps they can be rectified, and we'll see. We'll meet again in. Hello, we are back now. Thank you for your patience. We had opportunity to fix some 
technical issues. Wolfgang was online, but for whatever reasons, he couldn't be heard. He's with us now, and he can ask questions. And I'm happy to welcome Mr. Manyang. He is managing director and uh, China expert for the Epoch Times in Europe. And this is a newspaper providing independent information for exiled Chinese, um, which wants to counteract the mainstream press in China, people who want to inform themselves. He is an exiled Chinese born in Hong Kong. Mr. Ng, I'm happy to have you here. And maybe you could give us a, an insight into what's going on in China. From us, from the outside, it's a bit of a black box, but you have more chances and opportunities to look behind the scenes. Uh, black box is a very apt description when you think of China, when you think of uh, the Chinese authorities, because this party has uh, the property to, to 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 turn everything into a secret, and the whole Corona and almost everything is is a state secret. And anything, anything to do with Corona, everything uh, you have to apply for permission to even uh, inform other people in the world about it. For example, recently the Office of Funerals and Crematoria in China, they had, they got instructions, they must not give interviews and no contact, no information to be passed on to the media or in general to anyone before they have approval from the top and they don't get approval. So uh, that is unfortunately the case. What's happening in China? Well, okay, we know that that the whole corona business started with with Wuhan in Wuhan uh, for Germans, for Europeans, uh, for the whole world is uh, very uh, well known, became very well known. I always say uh, it's normal. Uh, when it starts at a certain place, it's named uh, after the certain place. And that was three years ago, and that was very, very uh, secrecy around it, you know, about this uh, Wuhan thing. Uh, all sorts of things, all, all sort of disinformation was uh, spread around the world, and they tried to uh, make people believe that the virus comes from America, comes from Italy, comes from wherever, but nothing to do with China. And that is not correct. And that was, uh, there was at the time already, there were uh, very clear signs that, irrespective of whether 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 it is the original virus uh, that came from the lab in Wuhan, but the fact is that 2020, in 2020 in January, uh, since the lockdown in Wuhan, an interesting thing that 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 you should know about is that. In, on 23rd January 2020, all, all transport to and from Wuhan was stopped, all flights, but 
not uh, foreign flights yeah, from and to Wuhan. And Wuhan is a relatively big city with 11 million, million inhabitants, and uh, we have a lot of direct flights, you know, to all sorts of uh, places all over the world, Frankfurt, New York, London, Tokyo, etc. And that means that you you do everything to spread the virus, to stop the spread of the virus in China, but not to make it uh, to make it stop uh, to spread abroad. So consciously, it was spread all over the world quickly. And, and then afterwards, no, well, not afterwards, but at the same time, a strict lockdown policy was uh, implemented. We know about that oh, for the almost three years. And you can say a very brutal lockdown, uh, for example, in a big high-rise flat, there was only one was tested positive, then the whole block was was you know all 10 floors were blocked and and 20 families everyone was locked in nobody was allowed to go in or out and sometimes in order to make sure that they couldn't escape the exit were blocked from the outside closer from the outside or and that in some cases led to uh, the people inside not getting medical attention, medical help, and not even getting food, you know. And in some cases, it led to people dying. Um, it was life, you know, life-saving medication or food was uh, blocked. And this lockdown, was incredibly consistent everywhere. If there was only the slightest hint of a corona uh, virus or corona disease, uh, disease person was discovered in completely locked down the whole t uh, whole uh, house, the whole district, sometimes the whole city, and uh, that uh, went in. <coughs> in there and people are suffering a lot and in the end we know that about it must be in november i think it was in november there was a so-called white paper revolution where people everywhere uh, were protesting in order to in order to to, to to, to upend the dictatorship and they displayed sheets with no text because otherwise it would have uh, taken as proof of a crime having been committed um, because there's no uh, freedom of opinion. And then you, they uh, displayed blank A4 sheets of paper and held it up and that was a very intelligent method because officially you don't uh, do anything, but everyone who sees it knows what people want to uh, tell us. And this, this, uh, this protest uh, were because of the lockdown. The people were fed up and not just the three years uh, to be locked up, but also the way that that people were treated as animals, as pigs, you know, 
that, that, that's what you do to uh, to animals when you discover disease you 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 all the pigs are locked up and and are destroyed and this is what people how, how people feel in many places and you get you you get and and these demonstrations were the result of that and what's interesting is that most think oh uh, the chinese party after the demonstrations they then they then uh, stop the lockdown and as a result uh, an explosive increase of infections on of infected people happened this is uh, not the whole truth because the spread of the, the new wave probably omicron and perhaps very likely also other variants bq.1 or whatever they are called and actually this explosive spread started already before the 7th of december when the government in china uh, 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 stopped the lockdown so that means uh, in my eyes it looks like like that they noticed that these three years of brutal lockdown did not deliver uh, the intended results because the epidemic uh, continued to spread but the chinese communist party like all other communist parties can never say oh uh, dear people we are sorry we made a mistake um you know the covid zero covid lockdown policy didn't work it failed they don't say that no they say look they take this chance for for withdrawing they say so many have protested okay then what we do is we stop the lockdown and and then later they blame uh, uh, they, they say that because the lockdown was stopped, uh, the, uh, the ha rapid spread happened. But even the World Health Organization, who is very friendly towards the regime in Pe Beijing, but this time they said that, that the increased spread of corona happened already before the lockdown was, uh, was, was ended. And, and the demonstration, well, and, it, and, it, and, and they say the demonstration was the cause of the lockdown being stopped, but it is like that. Before the lockdown was stopped, there was already a worsening of the situation happening in China with a more rapid spread of, of the corona epidemic. And and when the lockdown was stopped, then obviously it happened even more quickly because people uh, uh, met more than before. So according to the uh, uh, report, the number of people infected were at least five to ten times more than normal. I think perhaps we can and look at uh, some media here briefly a video video one uh, video one can we watch video one please
Tote Körper liegen in Peking in den Bestattungsanstalten. Die verschiedenen Gesundheitsbehörden haben die Todesfälle aufgezeigt mit erschreckenden Ergebnissen. Das Katastrophen... It also sees the possibility of up to nearly 280 million infection cases across the country. The result is similar to other expert predictions. The populations at greatest risk in the world are those that have avoided a lot of transmission and have gaps in vaccination. Uh, and that's exactly the case for, for China. That's because China hasn't vaccinated enough of its elderly people. Instead, focusing on a strict anti-virus policy called Zero COVID-19. With the country seeing a major virus surge, Airfinity says death would peak in January. While cases may peak in December, that would put China's death toll higher than the United States, with around 1 million deaths since the pandemic began. In Beijing, demand for funeral and cremation services has skyrocketed. A worker at a local funeral home told the Financial Times that his facility cremated 150 bodies on Wednesday, up from just a few dozen on a typical day last winter. Beijing authorities reportedly tasked that local funeral home with cremating those who died after testing positive for COVID-19. Other funeral homes in Beijing were reportedly operating 24 hours a day. There's also a week-long waiting list for an opening. Elsewhere in northern China, a video surfaced online over the weekend showing dead bodies lined up in the local hospital. As concerns over the situation rise across the nation, a worker at one of Shanghai's Christmas markets explained the event saw few visitors over the weekend, noting that people are, quote, too scared to come out. China is trying to get more of its elderly population vaccinated against COVID-19, but it's facing a major hurdle. Many elderly people still fear the jab could do them harm. Over the weekend, health workers went door to door to administer vaccine doses to the elderly. The move comes as the country struggles to reopen amidst a surge of COVID-19 cases. China's official vaccination rate is above 90%. But the rate for elderly citizens who have gotten booster shots is only around 40 percent. One resident said she doesn't trust the vaccine because of potential side effects. Western-made vaccines are unavailable in mainland China, so the public has largely relied on homegrown jabs. But some people in China remain skeptical over their efficacy compared to their foreign-made mRNA counterparts. In the Chinese territory of Macau, demand has surged for vaccine doses in recent weeks. The bookings are mainly from the Chinese mainlanders, as they can receive mRNA vaccines in Macau. China currently allows foreign nationals to get Western-made vaccines. The U.S. and Germany are partially closing their doors to Chinese citizens for now. As of December 15th, all routine visa services have been suspended meaning that temporarily Chinese people are blocked from applying for American visas. Those services are still available for American citizens. This according to an announcement from the U.S. Embassy in China on Thursday. The same day, the German Embassy in Beijing closed its visa office until January 6th. 
The German consulate in southwestern China also closed for several days. Consulates in other parts of China are still open. Has China's easing of its zero COVID-19 policy caused a virus spike? The World Health Organization, or WHO, is saying no and backing it up with data from China. The organization said last week that COVID-19 infections were exploding in China intensively, well before Beijing rolled back its strict lockdown policy. Earlier this month, Chinese authorities halted one of the country's stricter policies, placing entire communities under lockdown when a single infection case is discovered inside them. They also reopened some public spaces. But a month before that change, at the beginning of November, online search queries for the term fever exceeded normal levels by five times, both in Beijing and China's northern Hebei province. The same situation appeared in some other provinces later last month. One citizen in northern Luoyang City told us about his experiences. Many families got sick with a fever, all family members included, many friends of mine too. It started after November 20th. I have been infected for three days and feel terrible. China affairs analyst Wang He believes the Chinese communist regime knew about the situation, but tried to keep it quiet. A new study is shedding light on China's influence around the world, and the West's biggest superpowers make the list. The initiative is called the China Index, run by Taiwan-based research organization DoubleThink Lab. It measures how much pull Beijing has over 82 foreign nations. Here's how some of them rank. Considered the most powerful nation globally, the United States takes number 21. That's amid tense relations over issues like China's human rights record and the possibility of a Taiwan invasion by Beijing. Looking north, Canada comes in lower on the board at 37th place. Like the U.S., Australia has recently gotten immersed in a trade war with China and takes an even higher rank at number 12. Over in Europe, top economic power Germany weighs in at number 19. The index's highest rankings mostly come from Asia, with Pakistan listed as the nation most under the communist regime's sway. Cambodia and Singapore follow at second and third, with Thailand taking number four. Ja, das fühlt sich ja, es hat ja so was Déjà-vu-mäßiges irgendwie. Um, the lack of repetition of what we've seen from China. I have a direct question here. How many people are normally, I mean, is it uh, common that in China uh, people are, are, uh, are cremated? Uh, or is it is it not a common method of burial? Why is it so many more there? It's uh, quite normal um, that people are incremented. In China, I think it's the only way of uh, burial because the party does not allow to undertake people. They have to be cremated. And the Communist Party does not take any uh, respect to different re religious beliefs who may be of different opinions. Um, but in China, that's the only way. And one of the, I think it's the Financial Times journalists who 
called a crematorium and talked to somebody there, and they said, normally we work from eight to three, and to maybe increment 50 bodies per day. And now, there in the recent past, since mid of November, long before the lockdowns were lifted, they started to work, or their crematory, work 24 hours a day, around the clock. And all machines, all ovens, um, all of them, all 10 run 24 hours. And on average, each incremental takes 20 minutes, and then you can calculate and do the maths. And sometimes they say there's so many that we simply take two, three, four bodies in the uh, oven to burn them at the same time and simply spread out the ashes uh, to the families. And uh, that caused a lot of irritation, of course, because the families do not even want to know whether it's the ashes of their relatives or of somebody else that they're getting back. Incredible. <laughs> yes, yes, it is, but it's true, unfortunately. It's a similar situation as we had in 2020 in Wuhan. In Wuhan, we say from the beginning of 2020, January to end of April, these three months were similar. All crematoria were operating 24 hours, uh, but the official statistics says until now only 4,700 people altogether in the two years died because of corona. So here they are the champions and liars. And, and is it is that uh, spread over the entire country, uh, what we are seeing here, or only in hotspots? Well, principle, it's spread out through the whole country, but that means um, they have the same situation. So, for example, I heard and I had this confirmed by people I know in Beijing, the situation is the same, Shanghai, Nanjing, Guangzhou, these four cities, I'm very sure, due to my contacts, that this is the same situation. And all of them are mega cities. Peking, Beijing has 25 million inhabitants, uh, similar to Shanghai, and uh, Shanghai even a bit more, 26, I think, and uh, Nanjing a few less maybe 18 million, and Guangzhou, 18 million as well. So these four cities alone together is about 70 million people. And so I had my doubts whether it's really as bad. And I called a contact who is CEO of a company there, and 
It's a financial company. And they said maybe in that company, they have about 200 employees. And she, I called her. Uh, I called her at home and she said, uh, I said, if, if she were on holiday, she said, no, um, I'm not on holiday, but it doesn't make sense to go to work because the office is empty. And why is the office empty? Well, she said, probably 13% um, are absent due to sickness and 40% are afraid to come in to work to catch up um, a disease. And for that reason, they don't go to the office. And so it's only 10% left who could work there, who do work there. And that was not a single day. It was um, over a week when I talked to her. May I ask you uh, briefly, I, at the beginning, in February 2020, I looked at the data published for, by the Chinese Center for Disease Control. I just wanted to uh, have a look and get an impression and, uh, you know, see what I can do with the, with the numbers. And I looked at the Huwai province, and I, I'd like to share with you the, uh, the, the slides here. They're very interesting. Can you see it? The, the, the slide? Yes, I can. Now, this is a province Hubei, and that was the data that was published, published the sized uh, 36,337 cases and 2,727 deaths. And I looked at what could have been expected, and I looked at the data for the uh, whole of uh, China, how many people die from pneumonia, and uh, from an acute respiratory disease, how many uh, fatalities have we got here. And uh, we should have had, in the first 10 uh, weeks of the year, this is the period under, under, under review here, 6 million uh, cases should have happened in Hubei. And of those, if you take a conservative uh, estimate, I mean, the coronaviruses account for over 10%. If you, uh, we would have had 300,000 uh, cases of coronavirus infections in the 10 uh, weeks. That would have been normal. Huh? And a mortality of 0.1%, as could be expected for a disease like that, we 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 would have we would have had around up to 1,000 deaths, and here it was a bit more. Here it was 2,000, double the number. But strangely enough, only one fifth of the cases, and that doesn't make sense. Yeah, you had far fewer cases than should have been registered, but obviously many deaths were counted as corona deaths, and that is something, if I look at the statistics of Center of Disease Control for that period, you can see here the peak of the 
um, iceberg. It depends on where you count, what cases you take into account in order to evaluate the mortality of the disease. If you only look at those that go to the doctor, then I have more severely ill people amongst them than if you look at the entire population with acute respiratory disease. If you only look at those that are in intensive care, then even more of those will die. So the mortality depends on the um, the population that you observe, if you uh, and 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 here you see the table. That's a table that was published by the Center of Disease Control of China, and you can see here in Hubei, you can see the incredible high number, whereas in all other provinces, uh, hardly anything happened. In Henang, there's 21. That's a second. The second. It's only. It's not even one hundredth of that uh, number. And therefore, it doesn't make sense. Mortality of one and the same disease can't be four percent in one case and 0, 0.0 something in the other case. So it didn't make sense. And therefore, I. I took the whole thing as a systemic error, a bias, and not uh, something, not, not data that could be that would be taken uh, at face value. And then two or three weeks later, suddenly there were no further uh, no further cases. Only those that came from the outside uh, by airplane, 70 per week. Uh, were carried into China, but in China the the disease was eradicated. It I, I, I had to laugh when I saw it because it's so 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 obvious. It's so you know invented. It's almost laughable. Um, I thought at the time it was uh, completely lacking any credibility at all. Yes, but that's normal in China, really because, well, in the public, uh, People's Republic, there's lots of Chinas in this world, we say, but um, we say it's four. We have four Chinas in the world. Uh, so first is the one of the Communist Party, and then we've got the Republic, which is Taiwan, and uh, it's a completely different scenario. I say this because uh, with the system and the political system and nothing with the people, the people in Taiwan are 100% Chinese. So, and in Hong Kong, where I'm born, I was born as Chinese as well. It's again completely different, and Singapore as well. So, the problem is everything was politicized in China. Well, it doesn't just happening in China. All over the world, it's happening. Yes, unfortunately, but in China, people are more uh, they are more consistent and without check and balance well, there. It's been done uh, dilettantically. Uh, it's yes, because there's no opposition. It's a single party system and they can rule as they want. And the people have no right to ask questions what the government's about what the government says they just have to have the, have the duty to be loyal to the party and that's it and statistics in china is a pure political tool nothing else so it's not even worth looking at it it's probably better to uh, talk to people who live there yes absolutely and it's difficult to be a scientist in China and to be a, a scientist 
And I, I have one question here. I understood that you are at the moment, uh, because you are in, ex in exile, you don't travel to China. You haven't been there. So the information that you have here, uh, you get, you obtain from friends, relatives, and other contacts that you have uh, there in China. Yes, precisely. Sometimes even the people inform me uh, taking risk for their lives. As I said in the beginning, many things are um, top secret. And the real statistic data are, of course, all state secrets. Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're not uh, uh, correct anyway. They may as well keep them secret. No. It's not this. The, the real statistics, that's the secret, not the public okay. statistics. So if the statistics say 300 people are died, and in truth it's 30,000, the 30,000 are the state secret, not the 3,000, unfortunately. And uh, so our information sources are different individuals in China who have a sense of justice and courage to say the truth and uh, who are not driven by fear for um, problems that they may run into. They are the best sources, of course, and of course, my personal friends, uh, we are friends and I know they're not going to lie to me. They have no reason to lie to me. And um, so three years ago, I remember quite well, one of my friends came up to me, called me, and she was a, it was a woman, and she was so irritated. She said, in my city, the authority said, I don't remember the precise figure, but at the time, it was... 35 infections, cases of corona. And she said, in my company, my my relatives and friends is 15 alone. I can't believe from my acquaintances it's 15. And then the government says the whole city uh, 12 million people city is only 35. Um, that's madness. That's madness. The question is, the question is uh, the, whether these 15 cases, whether uh, just uh, were PCR test positive cases, and it's open what the reality is. In Germany, it's the same uh, thing that people use these strange tests and say, "I have COVID," which is complete nonsense. It is that uh, test is not suitable to deliver that result. Often. Often is often and rare is rare. And when people are sick, then we know that these typical symptoms of a viral infection and respiratory disease, then we know that it's a hundred viruses that can be responsible for that. They all want to survive and uh, proliferate, and it's between five and 15% maximum. There is more, uh, there is no more space for coronaviruses. And you can uh, figure out for yourself that there are 85% other viruses. So when people catch it, the test doesn't say anything. The test 
it's completely, well, it's completely that is beside the point. People have influenza. Huh? That's clear. But what pathogens are responsible is a fairy tale. If you want to use a PCR test to find that out, you are a liar. Yes, but the fact is that many people die in China. But they always do. In the past, most uh, pneumonia uh, deaths in China were children. And uh, it's not a long time ago. And it developed really well. P uh, children no longer die. The health system has improved. The diet has improved. A lot has improved. Now people get older. And many old people uh, uh, die from pneumonia. They have the one-child policy. Uh, they had uh, an average age that is uh, unfortunate. More and more old people live there, and obviously they die. Yes, but uh, by principle, the uh, um, forced abortion uh, is a kind of murder as well, murder as well. And this um, is something that uh, was going on. The single one, the one child politics is something that was uh, issued 30 years ago. And we are having the consequences that is, of that, that now. completely different from here, where some women f fought for being allowed to abort. And there is a compromise here in Germany and in other countries as well when this is permitted and when it isn't. And, and here, it is completely different when this uh, uh, situation arises uh, among people who are affected or the state saying you mustn't have children. That's a completely different situation. I have, I have uh, acquaintances from China who are in Germany, and they have difficulties. Uh, normally, uh, they're visited by the parents. They came from China to for Christmas, or they have uh, small children or grandchildren, and they want to see the family, and they want to see each other. And that is, and that is the only child that they have. And these uh, are now old, and they'd like to come, but they're no longer uh, allowed to. Is that uh, like that everywhere now? Yeah, that was the case about the last three years, where it was virtually impossible to travel abroad. And what reasons do they give for that? Corona. They say, because the propaganda says Corona comes from abroad, not from Wuhan. So if the Chinese travel abroad, they will bring the virus back. And that's why they are not allowed to travel abroad. I think the Chinese government uh, misjudges the intelligence of their people. Yes, 100% agree. And uh, that's why not, they're not going to stay eternally. Their government is not. Uh, one of the last protest waves, even if the narrative was restrictive, it was a sign. It was a sign that people are not going to be betrayed. What is the, the current time. situation with regard to demonstrations and other other protest signs of protest? What are you seeing? Well, it's calmed down um, at the moment um, for a number of reasons. One of the main reasons for the uh, demonstration was against the lockdown. Then the lockdown has been lifted. So 
That is why some of the demonstrators were happy. They fire the victory. They uh, celebrate their victory. The second point is the normal strategy of the Communist Party. Of course, during the demonstration, they use their, K, their AI and uh, pick out, the, single out the uh, so-called leaders and identify them and they create a blacklist. And when the wave is over, then these people disappear. So the best known was a student from the media high school in Nanjing a city. She is known as the initiator for the idea with the uh, blank piece of paper, the white sheet of paper. She started that in her university until today she has disappeared without a trace. That's China. So many, many um, uh, people are uh, prosecuted, uh, the Tibetans, the Falun Gong, um, human rights activists. So uh, many, if they are too difficult for the party, then they simply have them disappear. Um, they simply do that. They are just simply arrested. I know cases, for example, I had a business contact. I used to work for a big multinational company and I had a business contact in China, a woman, and she was a Falun Gong practitioner. And when the prosecution started, we noted that uh, she didn't answer my calls, my emails. She simply disappeared and it was impossible to find her. And 10 years later, a young student from China came to Berlin to study, and she is the daughter of the best friend of this woman I knew. And she um, put me into contact and told me what went on. Her aunt, it was her aunt, my partner, my business partner, disappeared in the night when the prosecution again Falun Gong started, and that was three o'clock in the morning. The police uh, came to her house without police car, without nothing, not even with a uniform, opening, opening the door. Um, they didn't even ring the bell and took her away, and she asked whether she can wake up her 12-year-old boy to say goodbye. She was not allowed to do so, and then she was brought to a labor camp. And altogether, she was kept there for three years, and then after she was released, she did not have the courage again to get into contact with me or anybody else because she was warned that she is not allowed to have any contacts abroad. And so she had to wait until her best friend's daughter went to Berlin and then she gave her my her phone number. And uh, so we had a secret phone call. She came to uh, visit my um, 
person that I know, are we agreed on a certain time um, to be able to phone? Uh, after 10 years for the first time, there's tons of examples for these. All people who are not in line are simply taken away. That is incredible. Are you, are not, you not worried? No, no. I, I simply don't go to China because I am grateful to the German authorities that uh, professionally I had to go to China many times. I worked uh, for a big uh, electric uh, company, a multinational company, um, doing China business, and I was a sales uh, director for the export. That means uh, all countries except from the German-speaking countries. And of course, China was one of the big markets, and I had to go there again and again. And uh, my last uh, travel, they kind of, they came at midnight to my hotel room. To cut a long story short, they tried to convince me first that the party is very good because they were irritated about my activities here in Germany because I do lectures for many, many clubs, organizations, parliament, whatever. I even was um, in the European Parliament four times, and uh, I do interviews like this. They do everything. They know everything, and they don't like it. So they said they tried to convince me that the truth, um, uh, tell me the truth, to talk about the truth. So I should tell the people how good the party is and the government is. Of course, they were not successful, and then they tried to bribe me. That didn't work either, and then they threatened me. And so I live in this threat for 15 years, and I, that's why I'm not afraid anymore, and I simply don't go there. I, have, I had contact with China once when SARS uh, broke up uh, first time. It was in 2003, I think, and uh, I had a, heard a speech in German parliament and accused China uh, for keeping everything secret. And I uh, said so publicly in parliament, and I got an invitation by the Chinese embassy uh, as a result. And I went there to, in, to Berlin and talked to them and said, look, it's good to open up and to let the world come in. There are so many epidemic specialists who could help you to uh, limit this uh, breakout. And I could not understand that Mr. Drosten with the PCR test produced SARS. It was an attempt at the time. Drosten uh, took the PCR test and with by means of the test, the, he defined what SARS is. At the time already, it was a fake business. And I'm sure that people died, but it depends on what you observe. You can quickly, in a big city, in intensive care, 
uh, units find a lot of pneumonia cases and there are situations when the attention is focused on those massive uh, cases of diseases, you can construct a high level of mortality. I showed with picture. If you look at pneumonia cases and I count them, those that are <laughs> in hospital, many of them die. However, if you look at the respiratory tract infections on the whole po uh, population, the mortality is not as high. You could see that easily in the statistics provided by CDC. So at the time already, it uh, was a construction where the PCR test played a big role because first they, we saw, they thought there are all sorts of bacterial infections. They didn't know what pathogen was behind it. And then Drosken uh, came with the PCR set and said, this is it. And then they agreed to that, and if you no longer do PCR tests, then uh, the uh, pandemic is over. And that uh, happened, exactly happened then, at the time. Uh, it is a very, very uh, questionable thing. I would really be pleased if that was uh, cleared up and all the data that uh, available, epidemiological data, if that, w that was publicized, because the story of SARS-1 uh, lacked uh, credibility, was, was more than suspicious. And the attitude when it was invited uh, by the embassy, uh, the way they dealt with the problem was, again, a kind of curiosity to find out what, uh, what the world thinks of China. So they wanted to know what do they think, what do they assume, and, and are we right with our with our uh, way of showing ourselves to the outside world. That was an interesting experience. Yes, in the propaganda that uh, it always focuses on the health of the people, but it's pure propaganda. The only thing they're interested in is their power. China and the China's, to understand the Chinese state is very simple. But actually. that is, uh, that is uh, the same applies to Mr. Lauterbach, I can tell you that. Yes, maybe, but in China they do it quite consistently and without any refraints. So um, there is uh, fraud everywhere around the world, of course, but in the democratic peoples, although if they're not all that democratic at times, there are oppositions, there are counterbalances. For example, your channel in China you can't even watch that kind of channel that you are having here. So that's a counter-revolutionary act. We had, we had, we had that in East and West Germany, where you weren't allowed to hear the other side. So we know that. Yes, I always tell the Germans that the viciousness of the DGR communist by ten. That's when you have the Chinese level. There are uh, people everywhere who have a heart and use their brains. I would like to know how that situation applies to the people's interaction in China. There's probably many people who doubt the system or critics of the system. Do they communicate with some codes or sub-level? You have to probably assume that there is denunciation as well. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, secret. It's, uh, it's specialized nowadays, and we assume that the communists have a lot of uh, used exploited corona in order to 
increase control, to improve control over the people, so to speak. We know, we, we know that in uh, China there is a health pass, uh, and in the health pass, the, 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 it's a lot about every person in that pass. And, and what's more, even more fantastically is that with this health pass, they can they can erect a digital prison for these for people. Because, why? Because when Mr. Schmidt is unpleasant, has said something unpleasant about the party, then tomorrow, when he wants to travel somewhere, he can't buy a plane ticket, air ticket, uh, train ticket, nothing. It's been withdrawn. It has happen, happened often. For example, uh, give me uh, give you an example. Someone one was from a bank was mistreated by a bank because they couldn't withdraw their uh, their money, and then he went to the mayor of this little uh, town and uh, protested. And, and following the talk with the mayor, uh, they made a note of his name, etc., and said, we will examine it, investigate it, and then he came home. And then when he came home and he wanted to travel someone next day, 200 kilometers to visit uh, his mother or whatever, he found uh, through the internet when he wanted to buy a ticket, uh, said, unfortunately, you have a red color on your health pass. You must not travel. Uh, so, so China has probably only comparable to the US uh, big data. You know the huge amount of of data that uh, is collected about every individual, and therefore the Chinese today have big problems because because they're being observed. But uh, as uh, Mrs. Fisher said earlier, they have their ways. For example, let me give you an example. Um, in China, when you physically are in China, you can visit, you, ca you cannot access a lot of websites. Um, so it's controlled information flow. And what do the Chinese do? The more intelligent ones and the more, the cle the more clever ones, they buy VPN, 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 you know, the virtual uh, personal network. And and uh, I understand it because I, I don't use it in Germany, you don't need it, but uh, there is there are free ones, but uh, the free ones don't work so well. But I know from my friend in, 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 in China that the, that the other ones work better. And for example, the VPN, um, Manipulated, it's like a Stasi system, so so that so that the system believes that my computer is not in China, it's in Germany. 
and they don't block computers in Germany. Uh, they are scared to do that. They'll get into trouble. They don't do that. So when the computer is located in China, irrespective of who uses it or the owner of the computer, whether they are Germans or, 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 or China, everything is monitored. But so then with this method, they can uh, work around the the control. So my contacts, for example, communicate with me through this VPN technology and they talk openly, they speak openly and they ask me to, to send information to them, to them, that the, the, the type of information that they don't get in China, I send it to them uh, by this uh, means. And so, because every in from a piece of I think if I were the CCP and I was afraid of that I would uh, sell it sell VPN and I would try to get hold of that mechanism and I don't trust these companies who sell this I don't trust them at all because if you have that you know who wants to hide so that's what you have to assume. Yes, I do that as well. For example, WhatsApp and Signal and all these apps in China, they are banned. Hmm? But there are Chinese who still who, who talk to me uh, on WhatsApp, uh, on the telephone via WhatsApp. But they have to travel abroad first because in China you can't download it. It's not possible. It doesn't work. But if they, if they, they Apple or iPhone, they, they they come to Germany and here in Germany everything is available and they download it, and then they go back to China. It, that's why the Communist Party of China. Wants to get to the encryption, and that's why many Chinese no longer use WhatsApp. Why? Because WhatsApp is owned by Facebook, and Zuckerberg, huh? the number one of uh, Facebook, and he's always negotiating uh, with the party in China because Facebook and WhatsApp are banned in China, and he wants. Facebook to be present on the Chinese market. But then, as we know from it by experience, the communists in China will uh, uh, present conditions. They'll say, okay, you can introduce Facebook in, Chi Facebook in China, but you have to do a Chinese Facebook, a Facebook uh, that can filter information. Second, you have to give us the encryption key for WhatsApp, because when you have the key, then you can uh, overcome the encryption. So that's why many people, uh, human rights activists and uh, dissidents no longer use WhatsApp, because eventually Zuckerberg will say, okay, if I get, uh, yeah, yeah, so that's what happens. So that is how it works. They try to, to buy foreign uh, uh, owners or they buy the whole app. That's correct. 
that the risk is there, yes. So that clearly shows that we are at war, but uh, not a war with guns and bullets, it's a war of, war of manipulation, and people try to get the interests of the people on their sides and control them that way. Manipulation with the media, data collections, that's the war we are in at the moment. Absolutely, 100%. In on the Chinese side, the Communist Party has has conducted this war for 73 years, unrestricted war. There's even a book uh, by, written by two. Uh, it was published in 1999. Uh, uh, unrestricted warfare. It was published by two uh, uh, people from the military. Absolutely. You can look it up on the internet. In, in English, it's called unrestricted warfare. And it's based on an ancient strategy. There was Sun Jing. It, he lived in 2,500 years ago, uh, before Christ, sorry. Uh, it was a big strategist. And one of his strategies is it's good to win a war, but it's much better to win without a war. <laughs> That's very good. That's very helpful. <clears throat> the communists in China really took... Uh, How stupid have the Americans got to be? But not just Americans, Germans as well. Germany is very much infiltrated by the Chinese communists, very much so. But that's a different topic altogether. They're bored, bored. We have a question from the audience, which is why is Chinese police active in Europe? Yes, Do you know yes. anything about that? Um, there are two types. First, in, Italia, in, in Italy, there was an example. That was before Corona even. Uh, I assume it was probably six, seven years ago, in an area in Italy, it's called Lombardy. It was known because of Corona, because Italian, uh, Italian Corona started in Lombardy. And in this area, there are many well-known uh, Italian textile industries, Armani and what, what have you. Mm. And this is a lot of Chinese work there in this industry. And in this area alone, Lombardy, live 40,000 Chinese citizens. And then the Chinese authorities, uh, with a smiling face and friendly, said nah, to the Italians, ah, dear Italians, how, how could we help you? We can help your police because you understand Italian police uh, has difficulty because uh, talking to Chinese people. And what we do is we send Chinese police officers to Italy and they go hand in hand with Chinese officials, but the Chinese police officers have Chinese uniforms. It's incredible, really, that this was accepted. Um, Chinese uniformed police officer patrol in Italy. And, and that's why it's no surprise that Lombardy was the first uh, 
place where corona was discovered because the 40,000 Chinese uh, frequently fly back to China, back and forth, uh, Wuhan, and uh, carried the virus with them. That's one thing. But the good news is that since the new government is in place in, in Italy, that woman Milani, Meloni, Meloni, um, the new, the new uh, uh, Prime Minister of Italy, she, shortly after uh, she assumed office, she cancelled the agreement with China. So from next year, uh, all Chinese police officers have to leave the country. Yeah? And, and then there is a second type, and that is the human rights organization, Self-Cut Defenders. It's a Swedish uh, uh, Swedish person, Pertoli, and he's in Madrid, uh, Madrid in Spain. And this human rights organization discovered for the first time that Chinese police uh, uh, authorities have secret, secret departments in all over the world that they've set up, at least in 50 years, uh, 50 countries all over the world. That's what, how they discovered, probably more than that, and all, including Germany, in Germany, in Frankfurt. And these, they are secret, so that means they have no sign. It says police, uh, Chinese police uh, division Germany. It's, it, they're called, um, they're called, um, Service center, service center, service center for police matters or something like that, if you directly translate from the Chinese. And they say officially they are there in order to, for example, Chinese who live in Germany to help them when they have when they have to want to renew their passport or driving license. They don't have to travel to China. They can do it in Frankfurt and but these, the, the human rights uh, organization uh, discovered that they don't just do harmless things. They get instructions from China that says, please arrest this China, Chinese person and bring him back to China. And what they do is they identify the person uh, they've identified and uh, the person and told the person first they said to them please before we have to use force please go back to china yourself huh? and if they don't do that then the next step is if you don't go to china then your children your parents or whatever in china will have problems and most capitulate and go back. Others have refused, and then what has happened? They were abducted, and that was discovered because one big thing, I think three months ago, it was discovered for the first time. Yeah, and Holland has also these service stations by the police in, in Chinese police. Uh, they, they closed them and demanded that the Chinese have to close it immediately. In Germany, we say 
we are investigating it. Incredible. Well, we have another question from the audience. In this uh, film that we've just seen, there was a mathematical model and they, it was called EMHE. And that was um, from Bill and Belinda Gates Foundation. Is that true? Do you know anything about that? I don't know it. I don't know it. Unfortunately. Okay, so maybe we'll have to check up on that. There is two more videos which you wanted to show and comment. Maybe we can briefly show them. If you have time, yes, okay. We do have a little time. The next guest is there, but we are not uh, on the lead yet. So maybe that'd be interesting. China's COVID-19 outbreak is getting more severe. Numbers of people exposed to the infection is skyrocketing, and the country's medical system is grappling to respond. Let's zoom in on what's happening. Videos show hospitals overflowing. A voice saying they are all suffering severe pneumonia or respiratory failure. Elderly can be seen lying on the ground. In Chongqing Medical University Hospital, there are no more beds. Some are seen being treated on the floor. The outbreak in China is out of control, even in Beijing. A netizen posted a video in Beijing Hospital and said, have you ever seen hell? Not only are everyday citizens struggling, numbers of senior Communist Party officials are also infected. On December 20th, a netizen posted on Weibo that the wife of a former minister of electricity died in Beijing after being infected. The post includes notes from her son describing the scene when he was in the hospital. He said he almost fainted at the door. There was almost no room to place his feet, with corpses stacked horizontally and vertically. The doctor said that none of the elderly over the age of 85 admitted in the past few days returned home alive. He publicly questioned the number of deaths reported by the CCP. A similar situation was described in a video from another Beijing resident. She had to go to three different hospitals to treat her father. She said wait times were all a minimum of four hours and there was a shortage of beds. She said six people died while her dad was getting an IV. And some did not get a bed before they died. Millions are struggling to find treatment. Across many Chinese cities, pharmacies have sold out of fever and cold medicines. COVID-19 cases are surging outside Beijing, too. Eastern China's financial hub, Shanghai, the southern factory hub of Guangzhou, and the central city of Wuhan, the former epicenter of the pandemic, are all seeing rising infection rates. The first batch of Western COVID-19 vaccines arrived in China on Wednesday. The shipment contains 11,500 doses of the German-made BioNTech vaccine. Those jabs are earmarked for German nationals living in China. Though family members of other nationalities would not be included, the shipment comes after Germany agreed to make Chinese vaccines available to Chinese citizens in Germany. Germany is also pushing for foreigners other than German nationals to be allowed access to the German shot if they want it. 
That number is estimated at around 20,000. So far, foreigners inside China can only get Chinese-made vaccine doses. The efficacy of those jabs is thought to be over 50%, lower than vaccines developed in the West. Despite conflicts at the border with the Chinese Communist regime, India is ready to help supply Chinese people with fever drugs. This, according to the country's foreign ministry, India is one of the world's biggest drug makers. China hasn't publicly responded. In the past few weeks, China has been experiencing a shortage of fever and cold drugs. That's as numbers of COVID-19 infections skyrocketed in the country. On Wednesday, Beijing turned down a U.S. offer to share COVID-19 vaccines with China, saying China's medicines and virus testing kits could generally meet demand. More than 100 secret Chinese police offices found in other countries. Ireland and the Netherlands have ordered the closures of these outposts in their countries. And more than 10 countries have started investigations into the issue. Yeah. Das ist ja wieder viel an Informationen. Was können Sie dazu noch sagen? Ja, vielleicht ein paar Kommentare. In diesem Film, es wurde erwähnt, dass hohe Beamte... High officials, high-ranking party officials, uh, had died. And this is interesting, because this time, uh, with this wave, a unusually uh, high number of well-known officials and uh, well-known personalities, obviously uh, party followers, uh, well-known professors and researchers and uh, heads of various institutions and, and, and organizations and party members, um, and that's a very interesting uh, situation because normally these officials get double, triple, quintuple as well uh, a health uh, service as the other population, as the rest of the population in China. But uh, even when you're retired and no longer work, uh, they nevertheless uh, have uh, enjoyed these benefits. Uh, they continue until they die, you know, these benefits. I know someone, for example, who used to be at the level of a vice minister, and he has all the medicines, all uh, the treatments, including very expensive organ transplants, uh, etc. Everything was is paid for by the state. And then per, the state pays for holidays, including the family, everything uh, paid for by the state. So what I mean is here, this, it is interesting that these people are affected, uh, have, have much more uh, medical service uh, than the ordinary uh, Chinese citizen, and nevertheless, a lot of them die. And that was confirmed uh, by other people. It's difficult to keep it secret, but in the official uh, announcements, it doesn't uh, say they died from corona, but due to illness. And um, it's usually bet they are between 70 and 90 years old, that age group. Many are uh, well-known personalities, retired or professors. They're still active, uh, still uh, uh, working. And that's one aspect. 
So it seems absolutely a fact that many uh, have died. Another thing is, which is also interesting, is that we one assumes that it may be a new variant because if Omicron exists, it's known about Omicron, the Omicron virus only attacks the upper respiratory tract and not the lungs. But, but reports uh, show that many people, and including young people, uh, are affected by uh, pneumonia. They call it white lungs. I'm not a medical professional, but I understand that uh, on an x-ray, um, the tissue, a part of the lung tissue looks white, bleached, uh, attacked, and uh, the white area continues to get bigger and then eventually people die. So that's interesting because at the beginning everyone uh, believed it's Omicron, Omicron spreads quickly, but Omicron uh, caused a few, few fatalities. It attacks the lungs, but this time it seems to be different. So there, that's why there is a lot of speculation ongoing that the new variant has arisen. What medicine are they given? Oh, uh, I don't know. I'm so sorry. I don't only know that uh, the pharmacies no longer have uh, medicine against fever, medicine against uh, against what is it called, uh, sore throat, etc. It's all sold out. Um, it could. I have read a report that they buy from America. I think what is it called? Evans. Do they get antiviral medication? I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know. That'd it would be, be nice to know. But could it could it be that this is um, uh, vaccination victims to say we have the situation that people react more strongly? Uh, in the uh, what the ADE or whatever that uh, extreme reaction is, or that people who die suddenly and unexpected, and that these are counted in that as well, is that thinkable? Well, everything is imaginable in China because nobody, nobody uh, says there are corona deaths. So, so you could simply find us out if you have a good system you could see who dies is the vaccinated or the unvaccinated that would be important to observe this i don't know if that's being done i don't know it no okay we have a guest a chinese person as well who lives elsewhere maybe he he's a scientist and maybe he will be able to give us more insight on that aspect, I'm interested to see this. You can stay on if you want to listen and you have a comment, maybe, if you want to make one. But uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you for your uh, information. Uh, it has been very interesting findings, um, things that I hadn't thought of before. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very, very much, much so far. Thank you for your interest. Yes, that was Mr. Hm, who is the chair 
of uh, CEO of Epoch Times and uh, who cast the light into the black box of China. Now we want to welcome the next Chinese guest, Dr. Sinhan Li. Und ich mache dann auf Englisch weiter. Schön, dass Sie da sind. Is a pathologist and director of the um, Milford Molecular Diagnostics Laboratory, and he's focusing there on Sanger sequencing diag diagnostics of uh, human papilloma virus and other sexually transmitted diseases, uh, Lyme disease and SARS-CoV-2 infections. And he actually is from Wuhan, or, or not from Wuhan, but he graduated in 1956 from the Wuhan Medical College in China. So he has um, sort of some first-hand experience, at least with that city, and also with a lot of the testing and and other aspects of the the um, infections that we're now dealing with. So, what is your take on the situation currently in Ch in China? Uh, thank you for inviting me to express my opinion here. Here, but uh, it's very difficult to understand what the Chinese are doing. Yeah, it's just like the Chinese. Uh, uh, we try to understand the elephant, yeah, just uh, feel the, the legs of elephant with the tail of elephant, but you never see the entire elephant, okay. So, uh, uh, it's uh, uh, the complications in the Chinese decision uh, is complex, uh, mixed with politics, power, and the money, you know, and uh, sometimes, uh, one factor is more important than the other. So I would try to concentrate it on science, you know, based on evidence, because it's very difficult to guess, you know, what the power uh, in China wanted to do. You know, it's very hard to, 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 to say it. So uh, the important thing in China in the in the current situation, uh, if we wanted to study it, we got to go back uh, to history, uh, two thousand three. Okay, and uh, let me see. Okay, when we look back to two thousand three, Zha uh, COVID one at the time. Uh, the first case of ZAR-1 was transmitted from Guangzhou to Hong Kong. A medical professor brought the virus to Hong Kong, and the medical professor actually died. You know? you know? And uh, at that time, the outbreak of COVID-1 uh, led to only a little bit more than 8,000 report cases worldwide and uh, 774 deaths uh, with a case fatality of 9.7%. You know? And uh, actually, the outbreak was ended before a vaccine was ready for marketing you know? and uh, before a variant of concern what de developing, yeah. So at the time, so I think scientifically, there was a 
difference, big difference between the two outbreaks. Yeah. One in 2003, one in 2020. Yeah. And uh, in 2003, the diagnosis of Zao was very accurate. Yeah. I'm a surgical pathologist. Yeah. Uh, my specialty used to advise the surgeons when to cut, when not to cut, how much to cut. Right? And that there's no room for me to make a mistake. You know? So I use the same principle you know, when I uh, decided to uh, diagnose infectious disease. Uh, like a Lyme disease, yeah, yeah, COVID two, is that COVID two? And uh, the best way, the most accurate way, is by cellular sequencing. And I think I don't think anybody disagree with that. Yeah, because with the cellular sequencing, you can see the sequencing of the gene. You know, if you have, have 400 basis uh, sequence of the viral gene you know, demonstrated on electrophilogram, the diagnosis is accurate. There's no question about it. Yeah. And uh, in 2003, in China, in Germany, and in the United States, they were all using cycling sequencing, DNA sequencing to diagnose the COVID-1. Uh, and once you diagnose the case, you isolate it, you treat them, you, know, you prevent spreading of the virus. And that is the uh, case. And uh, I think at least scientifically, it makes a difference. You know, and even uh, Charleston, you know, uh, at the time, they advised uh, to use uh, 400 base pair sequencing yeah, to make a diagnosis. And also in the USA, the CDC also recommend sequencing of the 368 uh, bases uh, for accurate diagnosis of uh, COVID one So that's the difference. Now, in 2019 and 2020, uh, 2020, and all changes, instead of using DNA sequencing, they use an RT-QPCR assay for presumptive detection of COVID-2. And there was not my language. The FDA said uh, it was a presumptive detection of genetic nucleic acid. And uh, actually, uh, in Wuhan, uh, both in Wuhan and subsequently uh, in the United States, you know, if you look at the literature, uh, there are a lot of uh, false positives. Uh, but unfortunately, Unfortunately, not many 
of this reports get published in mainstream medical journal uh, because it does not fit the business system, uh, neither in China nor in Europe nor in the US. Uh, and actually, in the US, the CDC openly deviated from its established protocol by introducing the 40 RT QPCR test based on its pattern. You know, actually, the CDC had a pattern. After 2003, because a group of scientists in the CDC predicted one of these days, COVID virus will come back. So they prepare yeah, for the test. Yeah, they apply for patent on it. And actually, you know, current, uh, the current situation in China and Europe and US uh, were fraught because of the false positive, false negatives in the test. And uh, we look at the history. The COVID-19 outbreak and the subsequent pandemic actually was created by city administrative blunders. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's uh, in Wuhan. Yeah? And uh, uh, at the very beginning, yeah, and uh, they did not know there was possible or human transmission. And uh, they had this big festival you know, before the Chinese uh, New Year's uh, Eve. And that was uh, uh, the major spreading event you know, because Wuhan has international flights. You know? you know, once you get that, you know, it's all over to Germany, to Japan, you know, to Hong Kong, everywhere. And uh, after the outbreak in Wuhan, there was a complete lockdown for 76 days you know, until April 8, you know, from January about 22 you know, to, uh, to April. And this lockdown practically eliminated uh, COVID uh, two uh, in China, you know, at least a stop in Wuhan. You know? <laughs> if you isolate a population, lockdown a population completely, <laughs> the lockdown in China means complete, absolute lockdown. If you lock down the people, for two months, the patient either die or recover, right? So it's obvious it, it would work, provided the virus did not mutate. And uh, in those days, there was no mutation. It took about 10 months for the virus to show up the alpha variant mutation 
in the United Kingdom. So it worked in China. However, uh, China did not have the alpha, beta, gamma, even delta. Yeah, in 2021 or 2020. So it was a successful <coughs> by experience. So the Communist Party uh, administrators believe you can lock down, you know, as you did in Wuhan to eliminate, to have a zero COVID policy to be successful. But they did not expect that China is no longer a closed country anymore. Yeah. The Omicron variants uh, keep coming from outside world. Yeah. And that is the problem. Uh, but they don't want to admit it because it lose face. Yeah. It's very important for the uh, for the government not to lose face uh, in China. So that is the uh, that is the problem. Yeah, uh, based on their uh, experience. Now, correct early diagnosis and the early treatment does work and it show in a report based in Wuhan. Uh, and this report, uh, I just uh, copy the table here, yeah, the reference, you can look it up. No. Among the non-health care workers, and the healthcare workers in comparison, the healthcare workers at the time in when Wuhan had the big epidemic, yeah, and the, the healthcare workers had a high rate of uh, infection, yeah, compared the 2.1% to 0.1% in the general population. However, the healthcare workers, when they got COVID-19, they were diagnosed early, you know, more, earlier than the general population. Uh, therefore, they have much less case fatality rate, you know, it's a 0.9% to 5.3%. So early diagnosis uh, is important. Accurate early diagnosis is important uh, in reduced fatality rate. Now, and um, people now, said in China, uh, because of the ending, the sudden declare of the ending of the zero COVID policy, yeah, 
therefore uh, it create uh, a lot of uh, infection you know it may be partly true may not be because when you i look at the uh, a chart published uh, shortly before china declare the ending of uh, zero covid policy you know the month from november to december the 4th in guangzhou they had 185 314 nuclear acid test positive results yeah. and out of that 90 percent of the cases were asymptomatic basically you just you can disregard them you don't you know, disregard it and only four people infected were classified as a serious cases and no one died yeah, during that month yeah, in Guangzhou. <coughs> so, so that's uh so, so this is a it's complicated the relationship is complicated and unless the Chinese also uh, do the sequencing test for accurate diagnosis. And we don't know what is going on. And uh, the Chinese cannot convince the world, you know, what is the real situation in China right now. So now the public in China does not trust PCR test results anymore. Yeah. And uh, this, this is because uh, of the corruption, high profit, and the violation of regulations. You know? And actually, uh, this corruption is worldwide. You know, in China, it's just uh, exaggerated <laughs> because uh, it's a power. Yeah? Is uh, but if the public does not try, uh, that does not trust uh, uh, the PCR test is not anymore. So you can see in the uh, social media coming out of China, uh, people switch to antigen test. Yeah. But the antigen test uh, is done quickly by the patient you know, themselves. And uh, it's not probably better uh, than the PCR test. And actually, the CDC and FDA already uh, advise that if you have antigen test positive, you should confirm you know, by another test, by the PCR test. Yeah. So, so to find to find the truth, I think the the Chinese should be performed DNA sequencing. And I spoke with some molecular biologists who are really knowledgeable uh, molecular biologists in China, and they agree. But unfortunately, uh, as as it happens here, uh, the best test method is not available. Yeah, they don't want it because it, it will reveal the ugly truth. Yeah, the first thing is that if you use DNA sequencing, so the efficacy 
of the Pfizer vaccine. This is in serious question, yeah, because they have not proved uh, their placebo positive samples really contain a segment of RNA sequence of the virus. Actually, they have not. So that is a situation right now uh, in China. We don't know what is going on <laughs> because it, everything is milky. So uh, I leave that and uh, would like to receive questions. Yeah, and what I think is important may not be felt important to the rest of you or to your audience. So I open my I have open mind to the answer questions freely. So that the, I think that the important thing is to discuss uh, our difference of our opinions. And this one way to achieve uh, correct science. Yeah. So thank you. Oh. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. Wolfgang, yes, you go thank ahead. You. Dr. Thank you very much for your words and for your information. Uh, you, you said something about the first SARS-1 uh, diagnosis. Let me find it. Yes, if I, if I understood you well, uh, you you told us that they they used already sequencing to find the cases, and um, I remember because I was observing that in that time, that for many months in two thousand three, there was not coronavirus made responsible, but they were looking for many bacteria, many other microorganisms that could be the reason for this. So when it started in two thousand three. They didn't find anything by sequencing, but they already counted all the cases and they counted all the people dying from this SARS. And it was in Guangdong, which is a very, very big capital with millions of inhabitants, where you have 10,000s of pneumonia cases each winter. And so I, I wonder um, whether in retrospective view, in a retrospective view, we can find out how those cases were identified and how those cases were, the differential diagnosis was done. I remember that Mr. Drosten was already in 2004, he was already cooperating with China and he was already offering his PCR test to the Chinese government to find cases. And as I, when I remember well, they already in 2004 used the PCR test to identify the cases. And I also remember that there was a, so it were some cases, I think, in 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 northern North America or Canada. There was an asylum for old people where there were in the staff and also among uh, the patients or the, the people living in this uh, house, there were cases of SARS. Uh, which were counted as SARS cases, which were exported. And there was an examination afterwards. There was a, a group of people who tried to find out 
whether it was really SARS, and they found out it was not SARS. It was it was the old coronavirus uh, uh, where, where we have the diagnosis, where we have the diagnosis or the old four types, which are well known, and some other infection. There was no SARS in in that uh, in 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 those cases. So um, I wonder whether we can be so very sure what it was in this time and the mortality i just spoke about it before when when because when you when you look in the hospitals when you look in the intensive care and you find a rate a mortality rate of of four percent or ten percent even it's this is not this is normal if you have pneumonia cases in intensive care in situation you have a very high mortality this is completely different as if you look for respiratory diseases in the population, you will find below zero. And so I, I doubt all those numbers we that are trans, transmitted from that time. And um, I think uh, we should, we should big, make a big question mark on that. I agree, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, the data I presented, just what I read, yeah? At the time, uh, the chief epidemiologist in China, yeah, you know, uh, Zhong Nan you know, and uh, uh, he he was using DNA sequencing, yeah, you know, to diagnose Zha uh, cases in two thousand three, yeah, and uh, the CDC also advised, you know, to use uh, DNA sequencing to verify the PCR product, yeah, in order to make certain the diagnosis uh, for the definition of cases. Yeah. Yes, but so they I did not be... do that in 2019 and, and no. 2020. No, Dorosten, yes. had a connection with Wuhan Medical School. Yes. Yeah? And uh, and uh, I saw a picture there because Wuhan Medical School used to be called Deutsche Medizinische Hochschule in the old, old days, you know. Mm -hmm. So that uh, uh, you know. So in addition to the Wuhan Virology uh, Institute, you know, uh, you know, in uh, across the river in Tongji. Uh, uh, university, uh, yeah. Once upon a time, it was called Wuhan, uh, Wuhan Medical College. It changed the name all the time, yeah. And uh, Drosten had the collaboration with them, yeah. And actually, some of my uh, uh, data presented, yeah, were from Tongji uh, Teaching Hospital, and probably. Had a connection with Drosen's influence in China, and they predicted something was going to happen uh, in <laughs> in the future. Yeah, back in two thousand and three, so they yes. prepared for it. Yeah, so that uh, so it's uh, I I agree that uh, we need to look into uh, all the cases. Yeah, but I don't think they will allow us to get access. No, there's little transparency. Right. 
no transparency, no. 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 Yes, and it was very few cases for such a big, big, big population we were speaking about. If you have a respiratory disease which is contagious, like coronavirus, which is very contagious, right. you know, only nine, only some thousand cases in a population of more than 20 million people, it is not believable. The normal, if you have right. any flu virus, if you have any flu virus, you have within a quarter of a year, you have 20% of the population having this infection within a quarter of a year. Within a week, you have 2% in the wave, in the, in the flu wave, you have 2% of the population getting ill. This is the numbers from Europe, and uh, this is the, the virus doesn't change so much from Europe to 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 Asia. So I think the the the, the incidence of of respiratory virus diseases is around one to 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 three percent of your population per week. And so, if you if you regard a quarter of a year, it's more than twenty percent of the population, and in a population of two of twenty million people or more. You must have more than nine thousand cases. See, uh, you remember Asian flu, X two, N two virus. Yes. In nineteen fifty seven, nineteen fifty eight. You were too young for that, you know. Yes. I I was in China at the time, and uh, a senior lecturer, you know, of Guiyang Medical School discovered the X2N2 virus. It's entirely new virus, yeah, immunologically. And she reported this uh, in Beijing in 1956. You know, she alerted the government, you know, something is happening. However, she, exp she makes some unfortunate statement and she was classified as a rightist, yeah? Oh. Well, you you know what rightist is. Yeah, yeah? yeah we yeah. know that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So her name was wiped out from the literature. Okay. Officially, the discover uh, discovery of X two N two virus was credited to two technicians. Yeah, in the provincial healthcare department. Okay, mm -hmm. and uh, okay. In China, in 1956-57, there was internal passport system enforced. No Chinese were allowed to travel without permission, even on train. Of course, you know, air traveling was out of question yeah, in those days. And uh, it took one year for the H2N2 virus to get to Hong Kong, travel to Hong Kong. Once I get to Hong Kong, boom, you know, it could it's spread everywhere. And uh, statistically, uh, they said it caused about uh, three to four million deaths at a time. Is but uh, the statistic may not may not be accurate. Yeah, but a lot in the in the millions deaths. Yeah, the Asian flu. Yeah. But China spare, we, we had no one. I, it was one of those spikes, you know, when, when you see all the, the, the victims of flu, you see the, the statistics from all those years. You see in the Second World War and before, 
you had a five times more higher spikes than you had after the Second World War. And uh, without any vaccination, anything, just it, it was maybe there are many reasons whether they didn't count it, whether they counted it different, or you have all those combinations because you didn't have antibiotics. So you couldn't you couldn't fight all those secondary infections coming after the flu and all such things may play a role that the, the death count was so high. But after the Second World War, with the invention of the antibiotics and with better hygiene in many countries, uh, you had very low and you all we you see only all every four or five years, you see a little bit higher spike. And the the so-called Asian flu was one of those little bit higher spikes in in yeah. the 50s and there was there was another one then later there was three or four such higher spikes the last one was in 2017 2018. yeah yeah for for asian flu i was very familiar because i worked with it yes the true discoverer yeah and actually she was working under a harvard trained professor yeah yeah in the southwest uh china and uh so uh so that's uh yeah that's a problem yeah and so. i have one question like maybe i i didn't hear it like the the current is in the in the current situation uh do we have um i mean maybe not reliable information if like more old people or young people are affected because there was also rumors that it's a lot of young people is that true i don't know if you said something about that already and i just didn't uh, because i was <clears throat> out for a short time yeah uh, <laughs> i think the, the old people probably got more mm -hmm. infection yeah it's true right yeah. now okay so right now is the old people because the immunity mm -hmm. you know, decrease yeah but it's so so the story that it's now affecting a huge amount of young people is not true that's we do not have any any evidence for that is that right no i i, I think the young people are okay okay yeah. so in, in china they only classify the people who die of respiratory failure as case, yeah, as COVID and the case. Mm -hmm. So if, uh, uh, so therefore, their number is very low, artificially low. Uh, uh, and also that the, uh, if <coughs> the COVID virus is detected, in a patient with a heart attack uh, and die of heart attack, they exclude the, that mm -hmm. from statistics. Yeah. So that's uh, and here United States, you know, you lump everything together. Yes. Uh, because of money. Uh, yeah, it's the uh, same here. Yeah, the same here. Yeah. It's, yeah. uh, it's money. <laughs> mm -hmm. We I have I have such a statistics here from China from uh, the where they made a differential diagnosis and where they've tried to find out which uh, 
which kind of uh, virus could be the reason of those uh, hospitalized patients with with acute respiratory diseases and you see here the hrv and you see rsv piv parainfluenza and you see they see corona here too no oh just a second you see corona is was here and it was about between three and 20% of all the infections hospitalized. The acute respiratory in China were registered like this. This is what I found in, in literature. And it's quite interesting. So I think it didn't it doesn't change so much in those years because the other viruses still want to survive too. And uh, it's, 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 a, it's very important what we try to find, what we, what we are looking for, where we invest in diagnosis and where we don't look so it's it's there is a very very big attention bias in all those statistics and if you have the media or the politicians uh, focusing on certain viruses and they give money for looking at those for searching for those viruses and when you when you have money to search you find more so we have this is a very very big bias and we always when we want to say something about your epidemiology we always have to be careful with such things we always have to have in mind that there is no objective data but it there is no observation without observers and the observers they have certain motives where they look at and what they use which method so we have to be very careful but it's it's very what we do now just counting the dead the dying people and and, and finding out uh, why they died there would be one very easy thing we could just say if someone died whether he died having got the shot or having not got the shot this would be very this is very hard data and we could know it because the shots are registered we know when people die whether they got the shot or not and if it's it would be very interesting to have all mortality and even morbidity comparing since 2021 whether people got the shot or they didn't get it and this is not done when you look in literature you find very few very few people working on such a distinct on distinguishing this it's the the science seems to be blind and this is a but this is a very important important thing we could easily find out and it's not done this is horrible i think yeah, I, I think the, all the PCR positive tests auto confirmed by DNA sequencing, yeah, to know what is going on. Yes, but you you said but you, you also said that even if you find something with uh, with sequencing, uh, there are people asymptomatic, so you can <laughs> you can find something with sequencing with healthy people. It's correct. Yeah. So you could, uh, yeah, you can think about the the clinical picture. Yeah. And also yeah. the the virus sequencing can be the bystander yeah, mm -hmm. of a major killing disease. Yes, yeah. I think that the sequencing is a very good thing when you when you have someone who's really ill and you know you make a differential diagnosis and you look for all possible you make a first you can make a a, a multi-test with to, to find out get some hints and when you have those hints 
you can sequence and you can you can go on and make it more exact. I think this is good, but, but it doesn't have so much consequences for the clinical treatment because we don't have really we don't have real drugs who, who are working. So it's just a scientific thing, and you have to have money for such a scientific uh, examination. So somebody has to pay the sequencing. And if you go for money in politics, if you, if you go for money in industry, you will get money only when you fulfill their wishes, when they want to know something. And uh, this is not always the truth. This is the problem. Well, the sequencing, actually, if you do it correctly, it doesn't not cost much money, no, not mm -hmm. more than the RT-QPCR. Okay. Like being used now right now, you know, mm -hmm. uh, for hundreds some dollars a test, you know, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's tolerable. It's, it's self-sustained, yeah. yeah. So right now, there's no diagnostic variant test, yeah. Mm -hmm. They have epidemiology tests but not diagnostic test. The WHO said, we need a diagnostic test so that we know, we should know, are these variants relevant at all? Yeah. Yeah. The Minister of uh, Health in Australia, he said, there is a soup of variants out there. Yeah, a, a soup of variants over there. And uh, one person might be infected by numerous variants or sub-variants <laughs> right now. When I have this, see this image that on some place in the world, some people look for more details in the structure of the virus. And I see those almost 1 million people or several million people traveling each week around the globe, transporting their viruses around the globe each day, millions of people. And so I, I think, what does it tell us when, when, you, when you have a look on in one place where you have a certain, uh, certain local um, presence of several viruses, the new viruses may, in the meantime, grow in Stockholm or grow in, in Ontario or grow in, I don't know where, in, in, in Bangkok or all over the world, the viruses is always changing, not only on one place. And we observe, we observe all, only there where you have special laboratories for that. So this is very difficult with the molecular perspective to say something about diseases spreading in the world. It depends too much on who looks with which method and where and how often. And uh, I think it's it's so it's much more easy when we have a good system of surveillance. What what the morbidity goes? The morbidity is the most important thing. If people get ill, there is something wrong, and we have to find out where it, where are people getting ill, and then we can see to try to find out why. And so when you when you uh, make diagnosis in the hospital, there are people who are ill, and it's good to find out why. 
And it's very good to, to examine them thoroughly, but it's a completely different thing if you want to have an overview of a spreading viruses in the world. I think this you need completely different methods. Right, the diagnostic method, yeah, it's different from the epidemiology surveillance method. Yes, yes. The diagnostic, because in diagnostic, in diagnostic method, it's related to the significance of the disease. Yes. Right. So yes. that's uh, that's why the pathologist <laughs> comes in. Yeah, yeah, completely right. And we have, you know, about the pathologists we have in in Germany working, who who is distinguishing whether the whether the damage in the heart, the myocarditis, comes from the virus or comes from the from the jab. It's so interesting what they do, and they because they can distinguish whether they only find the, they find the spikes, or whether they find also the surface, the, the envelope. <laughs> Uh, or something, uh, other parts of the of the of the of a virus, and if they only find the spikes, it's very it's very safe that this comes from the jab who makes the people produce the spikes, and there is no envelope, and they don't find any envelope structures. So I think this is a very good thing for pathologists to distinguish whether the damage is done by the jabs or is done by a virus in future. And uh, I don't know whether you have such diagnosis or differential methods also in in you in United States whether you use them. And uh, actually, to call vaccine myocarditis is a misnomer. It's a necrosis. Uh, it's yes. a myocardial damage. Yes. Patholo pathologically, it's different. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not inflammation alone. It's a uh, because uh, pro-inflammatory factors, the, for example, yes. the the uh, the tumor necrosis factor alpha, yeah, or, yes. or a lot of interleukins that cause myocardial damage. Mm -hmm. Actually, you look at the pathology report. Yes, look yes. at the picture. Yes, they have necrosis of the myofibers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's a difference, and uh, the pathologist who wrote the paper actually imply that it was different. Yeah. Yes. It, yeah. It, it, it was different. It's it's not. But it's uh, so interesting what what Anne Boychard, what Professor Boychard does when he is distinguishing whether he finds some some he can he has a certain method where he can find out whether there is some part of the envelope of the virus who was in in this region where the where the immunological process and destruction is is happening he finds rests of particles of spike protein or he doesn't on or he finds also something of the of the envelope of the virus and this is a mostly he he finds only a spike protein and not nothing from the envelope so it cannot be a virus but it must be the the, the consequences of the jabs and this is a very good method i think and we have to, and it would be good when if it would be used worldwide i don't know whether you have contact with uh, professor Anne Burchard, but this would be good yeah they are, they are publishing a lot now actually I, I i wrote my letter to the fda yeah 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 in early 2021 probably just before the vaccine 
uh, or at a time when a vaccine was approved. The first vaccine, Pfizer vaccine was approved. And I predicted yeah, there would be myocardial damage yes. uh, in my letter. Not myocarditis, it's a myocardial damage. I know yeah. your letter, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. And it happened. Yeah, it happened. I, I predicted because there were uh, some people die already when yeah when when early uh, when when early stage. Yes, yeah. It's that it depends. I think uh, whether they get the intramuscular injection, whether you you inject it directly into the veins or into the blood, then uh, it's very the, the the reaction in the heart is very rapid, yeah. or maybe very rapid. Yeah, well, it's sad to see that some of the predictions that were made in the beginning, you know, and that could also be actually like, um, uh, you know, like you could kind of come in, see it coming from studies that had been done beforehand, that a lot of them are now coming, coming, uh, coming true. So it's it's really a very sad situation. But I think it's important that we point the finger on it. And, um, you know, thus have a chance also to, to get some studies going or like to alert people to the problems that are ahead and maybe stay <coughs> away from more boosters and from other things and, and are aware of the symptoms. So maybe there can be treatment if you see it come in early. So, yeah, I think it's important that we continue to, to, um, to look at things in detail. And, um, yeah, I don't know, um, Dr. Um, as, uh, Lee, if you have some something to add, like a last a final statement to your very interesting presentation. No, thank you. Okay, great. So I think it's it's fantastic that we had like two views on the situation on China with a little bit different angle um, today. So we are yeah trying to shine a line light into the black box from various. Um, 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 side. So I think it's it's good. Great that you had time to come to talk to us today. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dr. Thank you. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, thank you. Super. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to stay in touch and and have more information in case um, there's some new developments or you uh, learn something like more in detail from China and so on. So yeah, let's let's uh, stay in touch about these things. Thank, thanks so much, and then happy new year to you. Yes, thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, now we're going to turn to our next guest. Um, it's Dr. Victoria Alexander, and um, it's something completely different yet related to some extent. And I don't know, can you hear us? Are you with us? Hi, yes, I'm here. Hi. Hello, fantastic. Good to see you. So let me just introduce you a little bit and maybe you can add then if I um, leave something out. You're philosopher of science and art, editor of the uh, Dactyl Review. You hold a PhD in English uh, from the Graduate Center of the uh, City University of New York and you have um, uh, completed a, a dissertation or done dissertation research in teleology, uh, <laughs> evolutionary theory and complexity science from the that's from the Santa Fe Institute. And your fields of specialization is narrative theory, philosophy of science and 20th century novels. So you're quite um, broad in your interest. 
<laughs> and um, yeah, so we uh, are now going to look into another black box, at least in the uh, trying to uh, shine a light into the well, the brains or the thoughts of few people who are obsessed with this um, artificial intelligence and what it all means to us. Yeah, if I maybe if I left something out that you would like to add with regards to your professional background, please do so. And then I'm very interested to, to hear what you have to say on the topic. Um, yeah, maybe I'll give you a little bit more of my origin stories and how I became interested in this. And in particular, um, you were responding to a Substack article that I wrote about um, Yuval Noah Harari's conception of free will. And based on that conception, he makes arguments of why we need this transhumanist agenda. Um, so, um, so I'll tell you a little bit about my background as it relates to critiquing these, what I think are unrealistic goals of the transhumanists and uh, specifically Harari's uh, notion that humans are basically machines and that free will doesn't exist, he says, because there's no such thing as an essential nature, um, independent of all physical and biological constraints, which is far too simplistic a notion of, of free will. And I don't know any philosophers um, who have ever thought of it in that way. Um, but um, so I, I started out, as you mentioned, studying English literature 20 years ago, narrative theory. Um, and um, at the time, postmodernism was just going out of style. And the idea that God is dead, um, that there's no telos, there's no purpose or meaning in the natural world, <laughs> had um, it been extended to the idea that the author is dead and that there's no intentionality in a fictional world. And it was said that an author is not the creator of his own work. He's sort of this conduit through which material forces act. And this is very similar to the idea that Harari repeats today. He claims that, you know, every choice that you make is really determined by, uh, you know, your genes, your biochemistry, your family history, your, your culture, and so forth. And in my opinion, this was really a disaster for literary criticism insofar as scholars started paying more attention to the supposed determining factors, um, like identity politics, really. And they ignored what made a novel or a poem a work of art. Um, so, okay, so I started um, questioning, trying to figure out what were the qualities in language that made a work of art seem like it had an author, like an agent, like there was a source of this new meaning. And I also asked what kinds of uh, events in the natural world seemed to make, made it seem as if there was an author, you know, with a capital A. And I was studying teleology, which is the, the study of purpose in nature, it goes back to Aristotle and Augustine and Aquinas and Kant and Darwin, of course. But at the time, these questions were really being investigated anew um, in complex system science. The study of self-organization and even chaos theory. So long story short, I ended up doing my dissertation with a, with a physicist at, at Santa Fe Institute in New Mexico, which is the premier center for the study of nonlinear dynamics and complex adaptive systems. 
And my dissertation was on the history of the idea of free will and purposefulness in nature. And I also formulated a very secular theory of agency and purpose. I worked in evolutionary theory on insect mimicry. Um, and I went into a field called biosemiotics, which is where I work now. Um, I study how signals are developed by uh, biological systems. And um, I mean, just very briefly, the, a cell can respond to a chemical signal because of a useful process that will be triggered downstream. So the signal stands for later effects. There's no direct connection between the sign and the later effects. So we look at those kinds of phenomena. Um, in the last seven years or so, I've become interested in Alan Turing's late work in morphogenesis, which is the creation of form, um, and how that's related to what he thought about how brains work. Uh, I think that if he hadn't died when he did, he would have taken computer science in a, in a different direction. Uh, published a lot of work critiquing AI uh, because computers process information in ways that are very different from the way that animal cells do. It seems like the transhumanists are unaware of this kind of phenomenon. Um, and I have, I will start my slide if I can share a screen. share this yeah it works yeah okay so when i started to write this substack piece on harari um, some people said you know he's just a pop science writer a, you know pop historian he's not a serious thinker um but people do take him seriously um, some people believe him when he claims that he's concerned for the future of humanity because he says AI is going to take over your job and the government and the economy and the judicial system. And he, like a lot of the people involved in the World Economic Forum, seem to say, well, if we can't beat AI, we have to join it, you know, literally <laughs> join with it. And I think in this way, he's very similar to Elon Musk too. Uh, Harari does not seem to know much about the history of the idea of agency or how to define it. And he doesn't seem to be aware of any current debates in neuroscience or complex system science about the nature of free will and how human beings or any animal is not just like a machine. Um, but he's not alone. <laughs> In uh, September of this year, President Biden issued an executive order on advancing biotechnology and biomanufacturing innovation for sustainable, safe, and secure American bioeconomy. Uh, the order was pledging funds to the biotech industry to enable it to write circuitry for cells and predictably program biology in the same way in which we write software and program computers. Um, I, I think maybe we can be glad that they've admitted here that the currently the biotech industry cannot currently predictably program biology or effectively write circuitry for cells 
as demonstrated by the abject failure of the COVID-19 synthetic um, mRNA injections. So perhaps they understand their limitations, but we might be concerned that these technocrats, because they believe mistakenly that once they in unlock the power of biological data, they will be able to effectively control human bodies and they'll continue to use us as um, lab monkeys until they figure it out. The executive order also states that the COVID-19 pandemic has demonstrated the vital role of biotechnology and biomanufacturing in developing and producing life-saving diagnostics, therapeutics, and vaccines that protect America in the world. So it's not just a pop historian science writer who has these unrealistic notions about biology, it's a powerful government pledging billions of dollars in support of furthering this kind of agenda. Um, some see this issue as a battle between ideologies of atheism, like, you know, pure mechanism and spiritualism. But there's very compelling scientific and wholly secular arguments supporting the idea that human beings are agents. We aren't just machines and we can think for ourselves. I picked uh, Harari's 19, uh, 2018 article in The Guardian to analyze, um, but most of his work pretty much has this, repeats the same message over and over again. Um, although the World Economic Forum transhumanists may not have a unified ideology, we can look to Harari, who is a prolific writer to get some general sense of the assumptions that these elites have that make them think or that they should or could control or try to alter the course of human civilization and human evolution even and, and recodify human rights. Um, their grandiose narcissism verges on a kind of cartoonish comic book villain, comic book villain but we nevertheless have to take their words and their plans seriously because their claims to ownership and control of our monetary system, communication infrastructure, natural resources do unfortunately lend them quite a bit of power uh, for the moment. And I don't think they can hold it. <laughs> um, so, Harari says in that article that liberalism tells us that the voter always knows best, that the customer is always right, you know, so democracy and free markets, and that we should think for ourselves and follow our hearts. Um, unfortunately, he says free will isn't a scientific reality. It's a myth inherited from Christian theology. Theologians developed the idea of free will to explain why God is right to punish sinners for their bad choices and reward saints for their good choices. Now, although the stated objectives of the WEF transhumanists are cloaked in tones of benevolent concern, like Harari's are, they are more or less open 
about the fact that they want to trade in our self-governed and representative democracies for some sort of AI managed surveillance system that will ration resources with you know, equity and keep tabs on performances, transparency. They propose, the proposed tools for this include central bank digital currency, CBDCs, which will record every transaction, social impact investing, which aims to control society often with gamified software for education, and health monitoring, welfare recipient monitoring, and job skills training. It's basically a social credit system. Har Harari argues in The Guardian that liberal democracy and the belief in free will are actually dangerous because governments and corporations that have access to everyone's digital histories will soon be able to know you better than you know yourself, and they will be able to hack you put ideas in your head, get you to buy bad things and to vote for bad people. He also thinks that the easiest people to manipulate will be those who believe in free will. In contrast, the ones who know that they can't think for themselves will be saved by AI babysitters. Um, in Harari's future world, there will, there will not be a god dangling the carrot or brandishing the stick, but there will be an all-seeing AI that does. He says, what we need is an antivirus for the brain. Your AI sidekick, and this is a, an idea of a digital twin, a digital avatar based on all your um, activity on the internet. You've created this AI that represents you. This AI sidekick, he says, will learn by experience that you have a particular weakness and it will block it on your behalf. The obvious alternative solution to the problem that corporations and governments um, have all your information would simply be to protect privacy and make data collection by governments and corporations illegal without full informed consent, but that has never occurred to Professor Harari, apparently. From the promotional videos uh, made by the WEF, World Economic Forum, we can gather that um, an internet of things and an internet of bodies is slated to replace the functions of community and social and political structures. In the future, researchers will develop these brain-machine interfaces, um, BMIs, that will monitor and eventually, they think, um, help cause our thoughts um, and actions, as well as diagnose and treat any mental health conditions. We will be ushered into smart cities. Agriculture will move into laboratories and we'll be fed the synthetic chicken and worm burgers and LED-grown medicated lettuce in exchange for doing some kind of work that'll probably involve operating mining robots or drones using virtual reality headsets. And this all sounds crazy. And I wish I were exaggerating for comic effect, but these are the kinds of programs that are 
being promoted by the World Economic Forum and in Klaus Schwab's book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution. Despite the transhumanist claim that they strive to augment human abilities with new technologies, the kinds of hacks that they've offered so far are mostly negative. It's relatively easy to maim, disable, block, traumatize, and propagandize. And they've been successful in hacking some of this, some of us in this way, but it will be a little difficult to figure out how to use BMI to make us smarter or to read our thoughts so that we don't have to type or speak anymore. We could just go from this chemical impulse to action without any kind of um, mediated thought that's possible through language. As Neuralink's recent show and tell, which I have here, um, which you can look at on, on YouTube, they revealed that the company's progress so far is pretty underwhelming. As human trials near on paraplegics, um, the infection risk associated with implanting a device in someone's brain to help them operate a smartphone doesn't seem justified to me. Why go through all the trouble and the brain surgery um, to detect brain activity of motor control, for instance, like moving your eyes or something like that, and then use AI to pick up the signal um, of that specific movement and separate it from the noise and then turn that signal into clicks on the screen. You know, the, the person could more easily operate the computer interface with voice commands. Um, so why are they really doing that? I think it's some sort of obsession with the idea of reading someone's mind without the person's consent. That's speculation. Um, it may be that the architects of the transhumanist revolution actually believe that AI augmented and AI managed society will be a big improvement, be more efficient, more objective, equitable, inclusive, free from the biases and prejudices that plague the human species. But it's worth noting that these kinds of plans have never turned out well in any of our culture's science fiction explorations. Um, perhaps none of the WEF members have ever read Mary Shelley or Orwell or seen a Black Mirror episode. We go back to our friend Harari here. Um, let me give you a historical perspective on the idea of free will. Harari promotes himself as an innovative and modern thinker, working to free us from medieval superstitions. Well, it's 2022. It's at the end of 2022. Um, because Harari is still trying to debunk what little he has read of me medieval theology, the closest conceptual relative he, there is to his notion of free will is found among the 18th century Enlightenment philosophers who critiqued the medieval church and who thought that free will was an illusion. Um, one of the most exemplary figures from that period is the mathematician Pierre Laplace who famously said that if he knew the position and velocity of every atom in the universe at the beginning of time, 
He could predict every event that follows even human actions, which are just the outcome of chemical interactions ruled by the laws of physics. And I've already mentioned that Harari believed that our choices are really determined by factors beyond our control. And Harari is still in that Laplacian mindset. He seems to be saying that the human body is like an instrument through which forces pass without being transformed by the organizational structure of the body. Input equals output. And nothing is interpreted by the machinery that's you. And Harari seems to assume that, a li that living organisms are like computers and can be manipulated and hacked in predictable ways. Repeatedly in talks and articles and books, he suggests that a person's cognitive program can be altered by external forces, information or chemistry, because there's nothing inside the person to counter or alter all those forces. There's no ghost in the machine. Instead, there's an algorithm in the machine that can be decrypted and reprogrammed. While Laplace realized that he could never calculate no one could ever calculate the mind-boggling number of interactions that would be necessary to predict, predict human action. Today's transhumanists are hopeful that supercomputers that are equipped with AI, that's fed with all the mountains of data that's been collected on every digital move we've ever made, they think that they are closer to possessing the processing power to predict these outcomes precisely. And if those with access to computers can predict what people can do, they can control them. And I think, you know, that that may be their intention. Um, but maybe not. Maybe they can't do this. In 1961, Edward Lorenz was using a computer to make predictions about the weather. And he found that if he made a tiny, insignificant change to the input, the output changed drastically, all out of proportion to the small change. So to model the weather is to try to model a complex system whose dynamics are nonlinear. And that means that your ability to predict such a system's outcome does not improve in proportion to the amount of data that you input. So all this idea about bigger and bigger data, collecting all this data on everyone and getting faster and faster processing um, is, is not going to improve prediction and control as much as the transhumanists hope, I believe. And that's why we're not there yet. And that's why we're not going to get there um, in what we're doing right now. You know, who knows what's what might happen in the future if uh, if they try to if they design computers in a different way, you know. But um, biological systems are infinitely more complex than weather systems. So with Lorenz's discovery of deterministic chaos. Um, any hope that one would ever be able to accurately, accurately predict and thereby precisely control a human being's actions had to be abandoned. And in uh, 
1986, nonlinear dynamics re researchers, uh, Crutchfield et al. It was my dissertation advisor, Jim Crutchfield, uh, Packard Shaw, and I can't remember the third part, Packard Shaw and Farmer. They published a watershed article called Chaos in Scientific American, in which they expanded on Lorenz's findings, arguing that even if the universe were entirely deterministic, um, like Laplace imagined, and, and most likely it's not, complex biological processes are inherently unpredictable due to the way they internally process information. Thus, ultimately, they are uncontrollable except in trivial ways. And we can talk more about that later, but mostly just in blocking or harming um, in some way, but not, not augmenting. Um, in the chaos article, which I think I have a slide for, yes. Um, the authors grapple with the question of free will and how it relates to determinism and chance. And they conclude, which is a really surprising conclusion, um, Innate creativity may have an underlying chaotic process that selectively amplifies small fluctuations and molds them into macroscopic coherent mental states that are experienced as thoughts. In some cases, the thoughts may be decisions or what are perceived to be the exercise of will. In this light, chaos provides a mechanism that allows for free will within a world governed by deterministic laws. So um, that's just a suggestion, but there followed many decades of research investigating free will in terms of self-organization and complex system science. And today, many neuroscience researchers describe how chaotic attractors and or emergent traveling waves provide the differentiation and spatial patterns that underlie working memory and attention. Such findings by no means settle the question of free will, but we've come a long way since the 18th century, Ferrari. Of course, science is never settled. And arguments about free will will continue as long as human beings are around. Um, even as I claim that human beings very likely have some sort of capacity for making their own idiosyncratic choices, I also note that it is painfully obvious that people can be manipulated. Um, in the last couple of years with horror, we have witnessed people lose the ability to think for themselves at a chemical level. Um, I'm talking about the traumatized people during the COVID lockdowns. At a chemical level, what has probably happened to these traumatized people is that the vagus nerve, which is activated in a state of fear, triggered a release of hormones, which locked in memories, um, whatever kinds of associations, um, associative memories are formed in such a situation. For example, the idea that the vaccination is the only solution, that's going to become a very strong, persistent memory, um, even if it's irrational. And this is typical of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and it's one of the things that I study as a biosimmutician, how associative memories 
can be formed. This process of strengthening memories associated with dangers, with dangerous situation is a very useful tool of our evolved biology that has been hijacked or hacked by those applying false information under a kind of torture. But the fact that people can be manipulated with something like material, something immaterial like false information just shows that people's thoughts are not wholly determined by material reality. We can be deceived. Um, we can also be physically forced into doing things that we don't wanna do. We can be coerced. We can be bribed. We can be drugged. Our mental capacities can be damaged by illness. We can become addicted to our own habits. Um, there are many ways in which our ability to think and act reasonably and for our own good can be compromised. But this in no way means that free will has no scientific reality. It just means that we're part of the world we live in and we're affected by it. So free will is not about ha having no constraints as Harari says, free will is more about being responsible for your actions. Being free is not an all or nothing property. It's a constant negotiation. The term we really want here is agency, not free will. Um, not thinking can even be part of how we exercise agency. For example, most of the time when we're doing our daily activities, we're on autopilot. Um, we can drive our cars without really thinking. We can even react intelligently in a split second if we see red lights up ahead. Subconscious auto thinking can also switch off if we encounter a new situation that we don't have a mental habit for, and that allows us to learn something new. Um, maybe the tragedy that we're currently suffering through is due to the fact that too many people put themselves on autopilot outsourcing the responsibility of making decisions for themselves and their children to trusted authorities. Unfortunately, thinking for yourself requires a lot of work and no one else can do it but you. Whenever I find myself in a crowd of protesters who are all yelling, freedom, freedom, I think it should be responsibility, which doesn't work as well as a chant, but in my opinion, it's probably a better description of what we all want. We don't want freedom to do whatever we like selfishly. We, we want the personal responsibility that comes with being free to question, research, discuss, decide, and act. Likewise, we don't have the right to do whatever we want with our children. We have the responsibility to protect their health and well being. And to conclude, in a word, the phenomenon of free will is understood as emergent from biological constraints, relations, and what I would call self-made luck um, in the way that your body interprets physical codes and signals. It is not true, as Harari claims, that the concept of free will has only ever been based on a notion of a pre-existing essentialist nature that is independent of all physical and biological constraints. That's just wrong. But my objective here is not to win a philosophical argument against Harari. In fact, it's better for us, I think, if the 
World Economic Forum members continue in their simplistic views, not only of human nature, but also of ecosystems and societies. Their ignorance is their Achilles heel. It allows them to believe that it's possible to achieve top-down control over a complex system like the planet and all its inhabitants. They are certain to fail. The danger is, of course, that they will take us down with them. Catastrophic change is already underway with our food supply, and many people have already been harmed um, by the COVID vaccine rollout. We have limited time to position ourselves to save as many people as possible, but I think we do have a chance. A complex system like human society is interconnected in so many ways that it maintains itself to a great degree automatically by self-organization and to a lesser degree by conspirators. The role of habit in maintaining the system and suppressing change cannot be overstated. You know, that's why a, a, a system as corrupt and broken as ours just keeps going <laughs> out of habit. But to, to implement technocratic totalitarian rule, these fourth industrial revolutionists won't be able to just fine tune this present system that they've, they're going to have to take down this system that they've corrupted and abused to get to their positions of power. And that will leave them vulnerable. If they want us to become dependent on their lab grown food rations, they'll have to sink the shipping industry, lose proce food processing plants to suspicious fires, outlaw fossil fuel agriculture and slaughter the herds in factory farms. So many aspects of the economy and society hinge upon the present very, very faulty system that when it is disassembled, there will be a devastating shock and we can expect chaos. The outcome will be impossible for them to control, even with all their economic powers. And during that time of chaos, we will have, I think, just as much as, as an opportunity as the WEF, if not more, because there's so many of us. And, That'll be our time to take advantage and pivot to try to create the world that we want. Um, we can push back against this impoverished reductionism, reductionism that sees biology in terms of digital computing. I'll just end by mentioning a little bit more about the work that I do uh, in biosemiotics and my notion of agency. Even very simple organisms like slime mold um, can make creative and adaptive use of error in ways that computers cannot. For example, one by overgeneralizing similar signs as with molecular mimicry, this allows organism to learn something new. Many pharmaceuticals will trick the body with molecular mimicry, it can also lead to something bad. Um, autoimmune arises from this as well. And two, um, uh, slime mold or you know any kind of organism can make use of error by associating two things that are arbitrarily linked in space and time. And this is similar to Pavlovian conditioning. 
uh, chemical connections, bonds are created between things that are not naturally or logically connected. And there are many kinds of physical interactions that can make organisms impossible to precisely control without risking unforeseeable side effects. Um, medicine is said to be an art for good reason because it's not like computer programming. Okay, thanks. And I'll just unshare my screen. Well, very interesting. I was wondering, um, so the, um, I mean, to me, sometimes it seems as if, you know, this, this idea that you could improve yourself or like the, the whole uh, humankind could be improved is, is really just a, a trick to lure you into like uh, go, going along with that. And in fact, what they, you know, that's maybe also why they, why we see this kind of endeavors to, to go inside the body you know, like to put something into the body because they see, um, well, I mean, also with the belief into in, in uh, artificial intelligence, it's not going to work, you know, this like propaganda, this manipulation in order to influence us, but you really have to kind of stop us. You have to stop the creative processes in the brain or like in the heart or where, wherever it sits in the soul and and uh, thus kind of disconnect us from this um the source, but I don't see this source as a, you know, something that just goes through your body and you're basically like a, a vehicle of, of whatever's going on there, but it's more like that's something that's coming out of the combination of the body and soul and everything else. And I think it's really for them really just, I mean, if you disconnect us and put us into like this sort of Borg kind of mind set, I think then maybe it's going to work for them. But I think otherwise it's going to be uh, like creativity and, and all that is going to be uncontrollable for them. That's what I think. Thank you. I want I to thank you very, very much for your, for your presentation. And uh, I was following you very intensively all the time. And uh, I think um, it's, I'm a little bit angry that we spend so much time on such, a, such stupid ideas someone has. <laughs> and um, I don't take Mr. Harari serious at all. He's just the guy who's making his show and he's, he's using pictures others need. He's well paid for it, but it has nothing to do with what we know already in science. And you spoke, you spoke about self-organization of life. You spoke about communication. You just could to have told us something about Mr. Maturana and we would have forgotten Mr. Harari. <laughs> so, and this is, this is, and it's so, there is so much knowledge about self-organization of life in the meantime. I, I want to, I want to show my favorite picture here. You see this, <clears throat> you see a village. I, I made a photo in Africa where, and when I flew very low with the, with an airplane and you see how people are self-organizing. You see all those ways where they meet they could meet any anywhere, but they just decided, yes, this will be our ways, there we meet, and so on. So they have structures, they self and you see the cells down in our brain who do similar things. And we, there is Mr. here, I don't know whether you know Mr. Vizzani from Austria. Vizzani? Vizzani. Gunther? Gunther? Gunther Vizzani, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yes, and he's speaking about biocommunication very intensely. He's very interested in this topic, and I, I wonder why he didn't show up in this time. I, I was expecting he I was expecting him to to interfere with this discussion because he could tell us a lot. And um, it's about it, he he tells us about uh, the RNA and the viruses. They organize us because we meet them and they shape our structures of immune system. They shape our possibilities of our cells. They, they made us that we don't lay eggs anymore. And they, they have, they do so many nice things with us that we develop. And it's such a stupid idea with such rough methods, which are, which are trivial. The technology, the technology existing is trivial because there's no feedback from technique. There's no feedback from death materials. There is feedback only in living, in, in, in life. Well, and, you know, they assume that there's some sort of feedback with, um, you know, new types of computing, but it doesn't have the kinds of feedback that, that no. biological systems have. And, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know whether or not these people in the World Economic Forum are, you know, just not aware of complex system science at all. They mention it occasionally. They mention it in very superficial ways that showing that they don't understand it. You know, so we can have a couple of theories that, that maybe they do understand that the sort of technology that they're trying to develop is, um, is not possible. Maybe they do understand that. And their real goal is just to disable people with the technology, not augment them in any way. Yeah. It, may be, is... it may be that some of them believe that this sort of thing is possible if we just had more data, if we just could, could do this massive experiment on billions of people to see what happens. And then based on the outcomes, we can develop better technology um, maybe they think, you know, if they do that kind of massive experiment, they, they might be able to make some progress and, you know, go farther with this kind yeah. of thing. Or, or maybe not. I mean, that's just speculating about their motives. Um, but, but I think that they are dumb. Yes, with what, what <laughs> so, we experience that they really, what they really can do is look at this advertising, look at what the investment they do on influencing us through the media. And we follow them. So they knew that we would follow. There are certain things that they know and they they, they are successful with it. But yes, when, and when, they've done a lot of research on how to control people through propaganda. Yes. And it's mainly through propaganda that people and you know, you can't really fault us um, because you know, people really don't have access to good information and all they're getting is false information. So, you know, how, how do they know to break out of that? And also they've been traumatized yes. to stay in with, you know, stay with this solution yes. that they've been given. And it's very hard. You know, they, they're, they're suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's very hard. <laughs> you know, this is, they, uh, Mr. Hanari says, uh, we will be hackable people and there's no democracy possible with hackable people. But we are, we are killable people also. They can kill us. And there's no democracy possible when they can kill us. It's just a stupid idea. Using violence on people will limit their possibilities. And who is allowed to, 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 to make violence on people, it, shaping them as he wants or she wants 
is using violence because it's it's just forgetting about dignity it's forgetting that we are all equal but all different and this is just is just forgetting this this primary uh, this basis of our coexistence as communicating human beings we would have long gone if we wouldn't have been all different but all equal and all the times when we know where we no longer all equal people were suffering people were killed people were dying no culture was possible no one there was no development it was the poorest time the darkest times of human beings and mr harari is just he's loving dark times i think he's just just um, it's stupid what he says you know yeah you know they they are managing to sell this though to there there are some intelligent yes. people who who buy into this idea that you yes can it's come, about money Power you can and come money. up with it a way you know you can come up with an algorithm for managing society that will be perfectly implemented and it will create equitable equitable situations for everybody you know some mm -hmm. people believe that that's possible that there is a rule there is a law there is a type of bureaucracy that would work you know for everyone um but we know with you know self-organized intelligence really depends upon diversity of ideas and having disagreements and people thinking different things and being able to communicate with each other and and work out things and test different things and you know. biological needs and biological, biological needs mm -hmm. And we start communicating if we feel some biological need. <laughs> so, so one of the tasks that we have before us is to try to figure out how to, you know, un, you know, unhypnotize. You know, propaganda is a form of hypnosis. Um, it works with some of the same techniques: the technique of association, um, you know, associating things with emotional situations. Um, uh, and getting information into your brain when you're thinking about something else. Um, when you're distracted um, and the TV is on in the background, your brain is still processing that information, but it's not critically evaluating any of it. And it's, it's still subliminal. Goes yeah. subliminal and it's still, subliminal. it's still having an effect. And your subconscious process uh, from a biosemiotic perspective, I would say that the subconscious processes information in a way that's very different from the way that we think of logical processing, where, you know, things are have logical structures and are logically related, you know, this is not equal to that and so forth. But the subconscious tends to associate things based on similarity and appearance or proximity to something else. Um, the way you dream is evidence of of the kinds of things, you know, something of a certain you know bright blue color will make you suddenly think of something else with a bright blue color and those two things are now associated in your mind um you know things that were in the context of the environment at the time um it, you know like if if an animal smells something in the environment and then yes. is attacked that animal will remember that it's, smell yes and um, because so, because we have this picture of the of the good climate of nature growing everywhere of the healthy world of 
nature and of peace and we have these pictures and they they use those pictures in davos they use it for their propaganda they tell the people you will be happy owning nothing and then they show nice meadows and nice animals jumping through the forests and everything is they use all this they connect it what they want to do is just uh, business they want to have the power over us and they know how to get it and they pay a lot of psychologues and sociologues, specialists, to give us those pictures so to seduce us to stop thinking. This is what they do. I think we need a, a good course in propaganda, how it works, what are the methods that are yes. used. And I've always abdicated for, you know, better um, art, uh, under, you know, analyzing art in the schools that, as I mentioned, that sort of fell out of practice. We don't, we don't talk about how artists and writers use um, artistic devices, poetic devices to make meaning, you know, subliminally, uh, you know, yes. and it imply different meanings. And if we if we learn how to do that, understand how meaning is made in language, you know, that the meaning that's not there literally in the words, but the 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 meaning that's there in between the lines. If we learn how to analyze that, we'll be less susceptible to propaganda because we can recognize, yeah. oh, they're using the, the those methods of association. Yes. And I would say that the difference for me between propaganda is it tries to hide um, the mechanisms that it's using. Art calls attention to them to show yes. you what right. meaning is being made here. And so we need to go back to art. <laughs> Uh, you know, okay. art is really an important thing with our. Let's, with our go, let's go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> yeah, we need great. more music. We need more stories. We need more poetry about a different future that we can imagine together, you know, to help us, you know, see yeah. what we can do. I, I'm writing a novel right now called COVID yeah. 1984 The Musical. It's a political satire. Oh. And forget I, about 1984. Forget about 1984. A brave new world. We're just <laughs> fixed on these horror pictures all the time. I'm 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 rewriting it so it ends happily, and we and so we think of a way to get out of that. And that give it, give it a different title, 2085 or something like that. <laughs> but I think it has to be some sort of new kind of art because I think I mean also when you look at the artists now who have been silent. Um, through the whole, um, you know, this whole crisis. I mean, to some extent, um, I can't take, I mean, a lot of people not seriously anymore in, in these, uh, you know, in these times. I mean, they could have had uh, so many ways to influence people and kind of touch their hearts and, and uh, you know, make them think, and they were just not there. So I think it has to really also, art has to be reinvented and writing has to be re reinvented to some extent, yeah. I was wondering, you know, we have a question from the audience, but I think you kind of answered it um, already to some extent. The question is, such people and thoughts are clearly a danger to the present humankind. How can you stop them and counteract this? So one part of this would be like to decipher the propaganda and kind of while recognizing that it's a propaganda tool or like even trying yeah. to lure you into some sort of narrative. But Switch how, off television. So for, okay. Switch off television. Short answer. But uh, but Wolfgang, that's not the only thing because you're also influenced by maybe other people who are influenced by TV or like who have, um, I don't know, are stuck in, in the bubble of their own. So I think there yeah. must be also other ways to kind of counteract this. Do you have any idea? 
Um, you know, you know, art is the best way, and and I think comedy is one of the the um, quickest ways to uh, enter someone's. You know, they've got this filter bubble up where they don't, they can't comprehend anything that's outside of you know what they believe. And if you go in with parody, kind of um, pretending to be and espouse the kinds of ideology that they do. They will listen to you because it sounds familiar to them and then you slowly morph it so that it just doesn't make sense and so it makes them go huh what wait a minute so i that i i work in satire i work in parody um you know i try to get into their you know, their consciousness of where that meet them where they are in their language and their in their rhetoric and their beliefs and then slowly distort it just slightly to give them that shock and and maybe a sense of surprise you know laughter comedy that will help you know um yeah. and dissolve dissolve schools you know we don't need a centralized school system you know which is in, in whole europe making the same thing it's just incredible just let the people where they live make their schools and um, then they can self-organize when they have intelligent children and they will they will self-organize. We don't need this is such a state school system. It's horrible. We give the people money for their children, that the people have enough money that they can educate their children and self-organize. It's such a nonsense what we do. And this is influenced. You know, all the I was in the education of teachers. I was working there doing health education for teachers. And I, I found out they, they all go to the same school. They learn what a teacher has to know to teach. What a nonsense. How poor we get when you do it like this. I homeschooled my son. I'm a big advocate of, of homeschooling and, and decentralized schooling. It's yes. absolutely necessary. I want to mention, too, that I'm a lecturer with IPAC-EDU, I-P-A-K uh, hyphen edu and I'll, I'm teaching a course on a response to um, transhumanism and it is it is for adults it's not a school for children it's you know graduate level courses in various um, topics like immunology that's a um, vaccinology the law of vaccines uh, uh, many different courses that are kind of centering or addressing the issues that we're confronting right now and so I, yeah i do think you know our institutions have fallen they've all fallen and so we need to come up with alternatives so but you know ipec edu is, is one of those alternatives for adults okay let's start i just wanted to make one last remark i think it's also you know transhumanism is also a very it's a very negative um, approach, you know, you're imperfect. You have to be augmented. You have to do these kind of things. And I, I think that it's important. You know, what shields you, I guess, maybe best from this whole propaganda thing. That's that's being content. You know, content with who you are and whatever what your body is like and what you what the the capacities that you haven't been gifted with. And I think these kind of you know, if you if you follow that kind of that train of thought then it's all like feeling more. I think then that's that's a, a very good protection against these kind of influences because then you're not like, you know, like a leaf in the wind that, uh, you know, someone presents you something, oh yeah, I have to hop on that thing and I have to get like uh, whatever longer hair or I have to do this kind of, uh, I don't know, I have to, whatever kind of improvement, I have to be able to run like 200 miles in a, uh, in a minute or so. 
That's that's all bullshit. I, I think. I want to be like Mr. Harari. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he exudes yeah. negativity. We haven't we haven't reached our human potential yet. You know, we still have a lot of things that that we can do. You know, without any kind of technology, if we you know if we made better use of our time, and uh, you know, we would we would advance. And so we're not we're not taking advantage of what we have already. <laughs> yeah. So thanks ever so much. I think this was very inspiring. And it's, uh, you know, also like maybe to think about this, like when the new, year's, new, new year comes and then we can make some choices how we yeah. want to live our lives in, the, in, in next year and the years to come. Yeah. yeah, I hope I've inspired people to, you know, like there, there is an argument against this, you know, a lot of people can articulate the argument against Harari. They just feel that it doesn't make sense or something. but. But you can learn how to articulate the argument against them and, and uh, you know, and point out how ridiculous, how silly they are, really. We were speaking about the free will of single persons. We can speak about the free will of communities next time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> thanks very much. I really Super. enjoyed Thanks so much. Thank great. you. Yeah. Okay. And have a, have a great new year. Thank you, you too. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Ja, sehr interessant. Ähm, ich weiß nicht, jetzt haben wir noch einen letzten Gast da heute, der uns auch noch ein bisschen Inspiration geben wird. Ich weiß nicht, äh, Dr. Alexander Friebe, sind Sie da? Ja. Friebe? Ja, ich bin da. Okay. Yes, I'm here. Ja, ähm, ja, ob ich Ihnen Inspiration geben kann? Das, äh, I don't know whether I can give inspiration. Well, you've achieved a positive result, uh, haven't you? You are a specialist for internal medicine in, in Bochum, and you are also have been the victim of a persecution uh, because you were uh, uh, accused of issuing uh, mask certificates. Now, how did uh, it end? Well, if it had just been uh, the Justice Department, but it was, it has, the whole thing has a political background. But uh, back to your question, how uh, it ended. Well, it was uh, an acquittal, you know. And what reasons were given for that, or were any reasons given? I mean, we've listened to other doctors who are still being uh, persecuted and are uh, were sentenced. What about you? What? Uh, what? How? Why did it end like this? Well. The, the uh, case rested on the prosecutor claiming that that the patients are not seen, were not seen or examined by me. It, this, they claimed it was all false and without was done without my any of my doing. And around 20 patients were um, called uh, uh, and who were not examined, who were, who they claimed, and all that uh, turned out to be false entirely. Nothing of that was true of the accusations. It was all, it was all, I don't know how they came to 
to to make that claim and uh, but it had a background you know he did not do it on his own, on his own account uh, there was a particular time when when this when this uh, happened in 2020 we had uh, initially we had um, some doctors uh, issued certificates to patients to free them from, uh, but, but the climate got worse. Uh, the patients, the doctors no longer dared to do it so that people from far and wide came to me to obtain a certificate and well that's yeah that's the background and they came to you and you examined them do you know from about colleagues who did the same and do you know of cases where i think i'm thinking of uh, the where, where people were given sick notes uh, without seeing the pa 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 patients and that you can even uh, issue certificates uh, for them to be unfit for work without uh, uh, on the telephone you know without seeing the patient is that was that ever discussed <coughs> well the patients uh, told me um, they tried they N not without reason did they come, you know, from far away. They came from uh, uh, the Lower Rhine to the Teutoburg Forest in the east and in the north of, from as far away as Bremen and uh, in the south from uh, Cologne and Koblenz. All for the same reason, because doctors were too scared. It was a climate of uh, uh, it was a, a climate that you know it's still not it's still not over uh, doctors were scared they were scared even that initially uh, issued certificates those they they no longer dare to do it that's what pa patients told me it was it was the same for all of them well i'm a social medic and i did lots of expertises in my life and I know if there was doubt by the employer, I was um, an official, and uh, then if people um, have a certific certificate, sometimes they didn't believe it, and then they sent them to me. And um, I don't know that any of the doctors um, were attacked because of a false certificate if the official doctor came to a different conclusion. Even if this uh, doctor um, had done the examination and um, did a favorable, favorable there examination. Was, there were no uh, certificates that were issued uh, to, uh, to, to do the patient a favor. Nobody dared to do that. It didn't exist. And it was, it was, doubted and people were sent to the uh, 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 public official doctor and it was confirmed it happened several times but um, but so that's 
that's different than excuse me um <clears throat> that's very interesting maybe this is something that um we should inform the doctors about who uh, maybe the doctors should go to the official doctor so that they can test them and certify them. Then that argument would simply drop. drop. Maybe we should give that tip to someone. It is like that. It doesn't. They claim that that uh, the doctor has had <coughs> to examine them. No, that's not true. Uh, it is common practice that the examination of other doctors is valid. It happens every day. You And you don't have to uh, be present physically at the practice. It's enough to look at the findings of prior examinations. It is a common practice. And well, just the fact that the practical, the general physicians uh, do the findings and the patients take them along to the specialists uh, um, or if I have um, uh, mouth um, uh, if I uh, and the doctor says that uh, I don't redo it if I'm a general practitioner if the eye doctor says uh, the person can't see I don't have to uh, examine the patient again but that didn't fit the situation at the time and then uh, rumors were spread that the certificates were uh, falsified, fake, and then in the summer of 2020, um, the pol pol police were told to to take them away from people, uh, sometimes violently, uh, to take them away uh, if they if they showed their certificates, to confiscate them, and and then and then I sometimes. I got telephone calls from police stations, and I was asked, was the patient uh, present? And I said, let me look it up in the patient file on the computer. And I said, yes, they visited the practice. And then the case was over. The, the police doesn't have anything to do with this. I think that would uh, be a breach of, of the... Uh, of course it is, you're right. but. In those cases, you're co completely right, but in those cases, the patients were uh, pleased that they got rid of the police and the, but that changed. That changed uh, suddenly, and in the whole of North Rhine-Westphalia, it changed in uh, such a way that the, that the, that all they got fined, the patients were fined. Uh, fines were issued, and some of them, uh, patients paid because they didn't want to be bothered by uh, the police, but uh, most of them uh, resisted, and uh, they're still being dealt with by the courts, uh, the objections, and, and they're still not decided, and uh, the Justice Department waited for my case. Uh, they are. They will be. They will be. Uh, they will be decided in February, and that's why it was important for my case to end as it did. Quite right. Quite right. These uh, contradictions are done. Uh, it's an administration act, first of all. 
And uh, so f that can be done on an administration level. You don't have to go to court right away. And, uh, and it's decided again, and only if it's confirmed, then you can file a lawsuit. <clears throat> I, I, went to, I went to various uh, local courts, and I was, I, I, I was called to, 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 to attend the court, and since it happened so quickly, the change at the time, it can only have come from the uh, regional government in uh, Dusseldorf. Nobody else has the authority to tell prosecutors uh, what to do. It's madness. This has nothing to do with the rule of law. If the politicians tell the prosecutors where to look and where not. Yes, of course not. Is your judgment final? No. No. Uh, the prosecutor. The prosecutor. Uh, uh, objected, but I cannot imagine that uh, anything, anything that that anything else will come out of it. That there was a mistake a miscarriage of justice. Um, I cannot imagine the, the prosecutor will find it very difficult to construct um, uh, uh, a legal error and to present it to the court. I don't think I have, I, I don't worry, I'm not worried about that. But obviously, when you have the instructions to go to the utmost, and obviously he had those instructions because it was completely taken apart. The case was... Was there any uh, taken of proof? Yes, and that was the key. Uh, the calling of evidence was the key uh, thing. Uh, they had planned to call Professor Bergholz as an expert and Professor Zönigsen as an expert, and they immediately ag agreed, and I'm very grateful that they did, because it was, but they, they could not, they must not, uh, they would have, they would have destroyed the narrative, and the court could not uh, afford that, and uh, the whole six days they spent on uh, uh, looking at the evidence in all detail. All the patients that that the prosecutor had uh, called as witnesses were, were, were called, and they were uh, questioned about every detail. How did they travel to, how did you find Dr. Trebel? Who told you, where did you read about this? Uh, the Association for uh, Doctors for Medicine and uh, uh, Information was uh, quoted, but whether that was behind the patient coming to me, uh, you know, word got round, just word got round. And then how long, they asked how long they had to, then they have to go to the waiting room, and how long did you uh, wait in the waiting room? Every patient was asked, and that obviously takes time. And then uh, they were asked how long were you in the consulting room, what examinations were performed, every patient was asked about. And then uh, it, it became apparent that the patients all very open and freely and confidently answered 
and I would say that was the thing that made the difference. The, the actual stars of the proceedings were the patients. Wow, but what a waste of resources and money and taxpayers' money. Six days of taking the evidence, crazy. The, the, the court was under a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. Nobody was there who uh, 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 thought there would be an acquittal, apart from myself, nobody. Um, the public was already expecting that another doctor uh, would be sentenced and the press uh, reported appropriately uh, the Süddeutsche uh, 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 reported it under uh, uh, criminality another doctor in Bochum is accused and the local paper obviously filed appropriate reports do you know the journalists who were involved? Do you know the names? They should be mentioned. Yes, I can. I can. I can tell you. But they only use initials. Well, it's important to uh, single these guys out and uh, the journalists who do there, so that we can ask them it later. Frau Christina Bern from uh, Süddeutsche said. We have to, they have to be forced to be vaccinated. Christina Bernd said that. It is known. I know her from early days. She's one of the ones who told me she wouldn't talk to me anymore. No. Uh, you have no reason to talk to her, believe me. <laughs> yes, you're quite right. The, the court was under a lot of pressure. The press reported. Uh, uh, appropriately, the TV was there, uh, RTL was there, and the speaker s told the press uh, two years of uh, jail with uh, at the at, uh, if and, and it could be more if a mistake is proven, and you know uh, since I issued a lot of certificates, it could have been lifelong in prison. And uh, the court was under that pressure. And uh, in, in front of the building, directly, 50 people in the audience. And they were a cross-section of the population. Uh, solicitor, solicitors, civil doctors, uh, secretaries, uh, streetcar uh, driver, you know, the people. And under this pressure, uh, the court, the court was under this pressure. And, and but however, the court has uh, ethics. And uh, the principle is to be independent and to be no and not to let pressure. <coughs> well, that applies to us doctors as well. He applied exactly. <coughs> we are responsible for the health of our patients, and we can't submit to any pressure. And 
how is that going to work in the political process? And uh, the judge, who, uh, sorry, the, the who knew all the files and who uh, read uh, several hundred pages, and he took holidays to go work through them. He wanted to prevent that the experts are heard, and he in indicated that an acquittal would be would be uh, was in the offing, so um, that uh, Professor Berkhoff could be heard and Professor Zernixen could be heard. We 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 could not was not was not. Uh, what was your impression of this judge? Was a younger, elderly? He was. He was middle-aged, uh, very experienced, obviously, and he was aware of it. He was. He was very scared of the public. Uh, he. He. He was worried about uh, the people who would attend the court you know, uh, causing a disturbance, and he, he, he had the people checked before they entered uh, the courtroom, which had already been done in front of the court building, and outside, so that only 50, 50 people, 50 places were not enough. There were perhaps an, an, another 50 people in front of the court building who weren't admitted. And in front of the building, uh, there was a demonstration of uh, people with loudspeakers, loud hailers, etc. People without not having to wear masks. Many people, and they stayed there all day, uh, from morning till the evening, uh, from the last to, and the court president could have refused to have that demonstration. He could have said, but, but, but the fact that he uh, allowed the demonstration for me is a sign that, that, that he, that the judgment was passed on behalf of the people. No, the people can attend. The people can see that we can. They can see that we pass judgment on behalf of the people. Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult for many judges if they have uh, similar suits, uh, social um, rights, and uh, many things where expertises are going to be doubted, and it's going to be difficult for judges if they didn't work carefully in this position and they left their position, which they have due to the profession, if uh, for fear of their seniors or whatever, they don't test and don't do what they should do and uh, rule verdicts which are there were perversions of law. two professional judges and two um, people from the public, and they knew exactly that um, every 
that everything was monitored and observed by the public and they're not used to that you know that there are 50 people watching um, uh, including uh, legal experts and then tv and uh, the press but they managed you know two professional judges and two lay judges that's good that's good we've just heard that uh, in there are courts uh, in some states in switzerland for example that do their work properly and um, stay straight and if we do have these courts in germany as well that is a sign you of hope have, you have to know that the whole thing started by that in north rhine westphalia laschet was still in power and laschet uh, was balanced whereas the climate changed uh, at that time ultimately the balance view took a back seat and that's why he failed being uh, re-elected but the social democrat uh, opposition saw its chances of 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 being able to to uh, to launch an attack i mean they're still in opposition and the uh, head of the uh, Rudolf from bochum uh, of the social democrats in the state parliament uh, together to telephoned with the prosecutor now this is not my imagination it's uh, in the files and and after and and and, and first put a request to the local uh, to the government to 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 ask what the government uh, is was going to do about the doctor in Bochum who was issuing certificates without examination of the patients. And the next day, the, the public broadcaster reported daily about the doctor in Bochum who who was being uh, investigated by the police, the local paper as well, and the state prosecutor gave interviews to the press. And then my, my practice was searched. Seven armed policemen appeared at the practice uh, and searched the premises. And at the beginning, I talked to them in a friendly manner. I said, you know, come in. We, 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 we just conversed normally. And while I was talking to them, some of them uh, was or, were already were already looking at my computers, uh, extracted all the data, and and then I was, and then I was also visited, well, uh, uh, visited at home, but searching the practice premises, it was repeated judges signed it from other towns in Mülheim. She, she, she looked at the data from my patients. In Dortmund, another town, there was a judge 
She signed a request to search the premises of patients, to search the homes of patients. I've never heard of this kind of thing in false attest patients. <clears throat> None has appeared so far, but that was the background. I was, my premises were visited five times by the police and eventually I was banned uh, from exercising my profession. I was banned from working. My uh, permit was withdrawn. Well, surely you have uh, can claim punitive damage now, can't you? Well. We have, with the help of uh, Mrs. Ghana, we, uh, we, we, we have made a special urgent request to uh, regain my, and it was decided after two months. In a practice that is closed for two months at a quarter, at the beginning of the quarter is dead. And that was the intention, wasn't it? My patients uh, looked through it. They realized that the whole thing is a political act, an intrigue, and, well, they saw through it. And then, and, and when they visited my practice, they said, everything stay in their place. Even the patients had to stay in their place. They were also caught up in it. And then I was told a patient, she said she was very proud. She said I was able to escape, but not everyone was able to escape during that raid. It's a grotesque situation. All the patients could have asked for the judge uh, warranty to, to prison them. So that's what the police did. Everybody who did that would uh, be uh, lawsuited, exactly. yes. <clears throat> you can do that, but the patients can't. Well, the uh, rule, can we publish this? Are you going to publish that? It is not yet available. Uh, the judge can take uh, his time. I'm sure he will because um, uh, it is. it will be examined by the higher courts and I'm sure that the judge will 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 be so thorough uh, he was so thorough in examining the uh, case of the prosecution and um, the legal questions were avoided you know what is an examination when can you call an examination an examination and do you have to have an examination all these questions were ignored because the patients um, were so confident, so spoke so freely that nobody could could say anything against against that. Well, what you have been through is going to be a historic case in the German legal systems. Uh, it's going to be uh, 
postgraduates and uh, PhDs written on this. Usually only after these people who went through this are dead, but that's going to be a case. I don't want to for, I don't want to forget to mention that when they searched the premises five officers were there and after 10 minutes one of them said I'm from the secret service and looked at me and I said what is that <laughs> and he said well, he protects the state. We didn't discuss it. I thought I would protect the state. And then after some time, he left the premises. But I was being observed as well. They, they observed when I left the house, etc., etc. They were observing me. And then the CID officer who was in charge was uh, uh, questioned by the court as well. And he asked, I asked him whether they had uh, monitored my telephone, and he, uh, he, he, he stopped, he stumbled, he, he didn't want to answer it. So, now we, know, as well. now we know what the yes, secret services do. They check out the private homes and practices of doctors. Costs a lot of money, this kind of thing. <clears throat> So it was 20 certificates? No, no, it, no, it, it, was, it was far more, it was. Uh, but 20 was, uh, call, was named, 20 were named uh, by the state prosecutor and thought, okay, those, these ones will be sufficient to, to, uh, to get the doctor. Crazy. So theoretically, you could object to this. Uh, um, do you plan any counteraction? No, I don't plan that. We try to. Uh, Rudolf, Professor Rudolf, uh, we, we uh, tried to bring him before the courts. It, we didn't succeed and could not appear. He. he told people that there is a certain doctor in Bochum, um, but the last thing is, has not been said about him. He is a member of the parliament, of the state parliament. <coughs> and, and the state prosecutor looking at uh, uh, patient data, I mean, that has an impact on data protection. Have you examined that? Of course, uh, Professor Schraub tried to stop this. It was even discussed, uh, the uh, diseases of the people, uh, the illnesses were discussed with names and everything. He tried to stop this and uh, he uh, filed for that. He applied for it in Britain as well, but we couldn't uh, prevail. But uh, people who are subject, who are victims to data protection regulation breaches uh, can claim damages. Well, probably that's going to happen. Yes, I'm quite sure. But um, for me, uh, I'm, I'm happy uh, with the outcome as it is. And I, I want to have my holidays now. We're surely going to look at all these things uh, as well. 
there are nicer things to do than uh, struggles before the court. There's a questions from the audience. I don't know if you can answer it, but uh, there's a cancer patient um, um, healing without a mask. Is there anything that they can do so he can't wear a mask um, in the examination? It's terrible, uh, the problem. Good that you mention it. People can't visit doctors. The doctors, the specialists, all demand uh, masks. Cardiologists have long waiting times. They are. They demand that as well. They all demand masks. It's dreadful, dreadful. It's a big problem. And you can't get around it, or you'd have to do something, and then they say, we don't do it, or what? They still, they won't do it. They get cheeky. They 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 kick them out and 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 start shouting, etc. It's it, it, it's indescribable. Well, madness. Maybe we should try to. If these people are people are concerned by this, I don't know how far you can travel for these um, uh, examinations. They should could go to people where we know that they do it without well, some, the masks. Some relationships have broken up. Uh, for for decades, they were satisfied with their doctors, and suddenly. Uh, they started with masks and vaccinations, etc., and everything. The relationships broke up, and some who have to go to specialists, there aren't enough specialists in Germany. You can't just go to another one. There's a lot of work. Yes, you're right about that. Well, I don't know, it's great. Uh, thank you for presenting your case here. and. When the uh, ruling is out, we would like to discuss this here and publish it as well. I think it's very important that the public watched, that people were there, that the group was there on the street. I think that built up the pressure and uh, maybe it motivates people. I think it played a role. <clears throat> well, perhaps one aspect that uh, should be mentioned. I, I, uh, I uh, appeared publicly or at demonstrations as a speaker and spoke against the measures. And that was explicitly a reason for the prosecution. This doctor appeared at as a speaker, therefore, and that's why the Secret Service was involved, because uh, it was said he ha made a public uh, appearance. He uh, uh, <coughs> voiced opinions against the government, and and he has a blog where he criticizes government measures. Well, if you think this to the end, it was explicitly stated. If you think this to the end, what happened? If I, as a doctor, speak up for my patients, and I'm convinced, and I'm uh, informed and I don't want to cause any harm, how many things do we have to do? All the the effect that, uh, the influence that they are subjected to, we are always subject to secondary influences, the pressure of the pharma, the industry, is that all the, the um, education. I want to thank you personally. Right from the beginning, I saw what you were publishing 
my personal thanks to you. Well, it's okay. Thank you. It helped me a lot with your support. Well, I thought all of this, when I saw it, what pressure and um, incentives on one side and pressure. Um, just uh, think about the societies and the educations, the guidelines. And if you don't work toward the guidelines and the effect of the industry funded the guidelines and so on. And if you don't uh, follow these, all these things, if you are in that and you ask your questions, you get problems. But now, now that the state puts on this pressure as well, with the um, talking into the uh, consciousness of the doctor, it's unbearable. You mustn't uh, forget the professional uh, organization who threatened to ban me from, uh, <coughs> from practicing, who told the patients I was, he, he, he wrote, uh, there is evidence uh, to 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 send the patient file to the professional body. The patients were asked. That leaves you speechless, doesn't it? Yeah. Sometimes it's even critical people that one used to work together with that were very critical in other areas. There were some of these in the chambers as well, and you hear nothing of these. And uh, this is why we try to. Uh, the chambers are elected, and that's why we wanted to get a fraction of critical doctors who go there, that at least it is disputed in the chamber, that they don't all go in line, that they, that they fight in the doctors. That's what they should do. And I can only uh, tell the people who to go there, uh, run for the office, and uh, make sure that you put these uh, issues on the agenda. Of course, you're not going to be uh, everybody's darling in there, but it's important for the patients and uh, for our self-understanding. What failures are we if we all step in line? <clears throat> yes, good, Mr. Vodak. Well, you, you didn't uh, step in line, of course. Uh, you came forward. And I think it's a great example now. Maybe we've had uh, a courageous judge as well who uh, felt the rule of law still. So there are positive cases, and I think that is going to affect the other law cases as well, where people have to wonder of what um, uh, funny uh, legal arguments they have to face. Uh, have a good new year. To you Thank too. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you. <clears throat> well, we have reached the end of the today's session. I'm very pleased that we had such a positive example at the end to listen to and many new views that we can take into the new year. I'm very pleased. Uh, well, tomorrow is the time I'm looking forward to 2023. I'm convinced it will be the year where uh, information and education starts. We have uh, seen that some of the turncoats are uh, carefully considering their position. 
but I think many things will no longer be able to be swept uh, under the carpet, and it will be become more and more obvious. We have to, we have to keep digging at it and uh, keep asking questions. Well, um, as I said at the beginning, we are now able to issue uh, receipts for donations, and I hope that you will continue to uh, support us. I think it is important that we continue to do our work. And in this sense, I wanted to wish all of you a happy new year, all the best, uh, health-wise, and your mental well-being. Only the best for 2023. And Wolfgang, perhaps you should have the last word. Well, I don't want to say much. I just want to say all of the audience, some of them are curious, you are critical, and maybe some others as well. I don't know who want to know what we're on at, but I wish a very good new year, new year for everyone. And if you fight for other people because you like other people, you can't go wrong. And that is great fun as well. And I think what makes us happy as people is if we can help others to make life better, to stand by them. And we are in times where that needs a certain courage, courage, and where it, it's a bit um, needs effort. If you just uh, step in line, you get told what to do. And if you want to help people in this kind of situation, it is elaborate and uh, takes work. And I thank everybody who stand up for this, who stay strong. That is real solidarity. If you love your next and your neighbor, you find out what's good for them and you help them in that. And I wish for all of you to be happy in that sense, to be able to do things for others. I wish you all the best for 2023. You said that very nicely. Courage, I think, and uh, backbone and honesty. Uh, we can absolve those who always make an effort. So in this sense, uh, let's enter the new year and uh, we will meet again next week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.